I say, old man? That Jack the Caretaker is such a bestial human oh, being. Oh, yes. <laughs> Vampires. <laughs> Wendy, fetch the applesauce. It's over. <laughs> it's, it's, it's over. So, Lucas, I don't know what you're saying. Good eye, mate. <laughs> Well, I have it on good authority that this new caretaker has murdered or attempted to murder his wife and child oh, in the course say. of his duty. Now that's a bold statement there, sir. Those are accusations that I do not take fondly to. Are you from Savannah? <laughs> we let this Texan in. <laughs> All this and more in high to your northern parts around here. It's it it's the shining. <laughs> Vampire weekend up here because we do this every Sunday. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. In December, drinking orchards. I look psychotic in a bad lava. Yes, we we have a new voice. If you've heard on this week, um, before we get into the movie, we have a guest. You also heard him in the intro. It is my friend Charlie McPherson. 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 Sorry, my apologies. Very Irish. Charlie, I met Charlie last year, right, in yes. the English teaching department at the University of Montana. Um, and we, we bonded over Kubrick, a love of Kubrick films, nonetheless. Yeah, we put together a really fire lesson plan about Full Metal Jacket and Apocalypse Now. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, oh, Lucas is that? This is great. Oh, that's when you watched Apocalypse Now at my place, doing your laundry and shit? It was, that's correct. Oh, yeah, it was okay. for our lesson plan on, on Vietnam literature real quick is one of your you if both of your guys's mics are on on zoom you should mute one of you guys because there is i think we just have one. Oh, okay i was gonna say there might be a little reverb but maybe it's just picking up on both ends and maybe you sound like that to okay. us there's a little reverb in my ear oh, okay then maybe I that's just what it is i don't know how to deal with maybe it. I'm Yo, just... it's like blue oyster cult said you know don't fear the reverb <laughs> exactly i'm just a dumb fuck <laughs> then Oh shit! Our... Um, I got some questions <laughs> for you guys. Hit it, Brandon. Uh, the first question is: Do you like Jack Nicholson? Of course. I think "like" is kind of the wrong word to use. He's just kind of a force of nature. Yeah, Seth. It's like I saying, like "Do I like a hurricane?" Mm, that's interesting. That's what you like about him is his hairline. Yeah, I think it's awesome. We know a guy with <laughs> that exact iconic. hairline. It is iconic. <laughs> yeah. That guy, Connor. It. <laughs> there we go. Shout out Connor. Shout out Connor. Shout out Rap Boy. Always shout out Rap Boy. What's your other question, Brandon? Um, do you guys like that song "Second Chance"? Where sometimes goodbye is a second chance. <laughs> it's Shine Down by the no. band Shine Down. Oh, I see. Sometimes a crisp, goodbye clear connection. is a second <laughs> chance. 
I, I do. That's a good song. Yeah. I think I need to start drinking to uh, follow that analogy. <laughs> and, and my it's... third question is, do you like the shirts that Lucas, his podcast shirt? Oh, that's a great shirt. Oh, yeah. I was hoping you would wear it because if you answered yes to any of these questions, you've come to the right place. This is the good, the bad, and the movies. This week, we watched The Shining from 1980. Wow, we we sure we sure did, boys. And I literally just finished it. I tried to get so many hours off this week because my brother came to town with his girlfriend. My mother in law flew in from Anchorage, and instead, work scheduled me sixty hours this week. So oh, fucking rocked. <laughs> Damn, that's the man for you. You didn't see anybody. <laughs> did you watch it in a spooky setting? I w- I literally watched thirty minutes of it in Walmart today. <laughs> <laughs> that qualifies as a spooky yeah, setting. <laughs> it's scary. Yeah, being forced to put your life aside for your work week—that's that kind of horror. Terrifying. Yeah. And give uh, me the overlook over Walmart any day. <laughs> um, and before we get into it, we're drinking beers today. Are you guys drinking anything over there? We're not in particular. We're not huge on the beer. Tonight. Yeah, we're a bunch of teetotalers over here. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot. There was it was tea. We're on the oh, wagon. Oh yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, With the overall theme of alcoholism, you know, not appropriate exactly. I, we apparently were deaf to those tones. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> to end this uh, Spooktoberfest for the downtown Spook Boys, we. That's us. That is us. I had that is us. you pick up something. Yeah. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did. Thanks. <laughs> thanks for yeah. Shout thanks out for Seth for picking up beers. It's just uh the brewery I'm at. Sorry, I thought I heard bam. something. Um Bam, yeah. Bam. They made an Oktoberfest. It's uh Wood Aged Martin, whatever. I'm not sure what that means exactly. I'm kind of upset that it doesn't say Oktoberfest on the can. I promise it is. <laughs> It's wood age, you're gonna get actually an oaky afterbirth oh, on this one. Oh, fuck yeah, I love an oaky afterbirth. <laughs> and subtle nice. notes of graham cracker and cherry. Is that legit? Yeah. Interesting. Very oh subtle. It's not sweet or anything, but... <laughs> it, the, the way you said very subtle reminded me of The Office when they have the coconut dick flavored <laughs> drink. And he's like, the coconut's pretty subtle in here. <laughs> I miss <Yeah>. original. Yeah. <laughs> I miss original. <laughs> Why'd they have to add the coconut? <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> so it's gonna be like a lacroix it's gonna be like our this is not gonna be like it's, like, it's gonna it's, be like a beer it's gonna be like the black lantern we had last week where it was like brewed near a pumpkin patch because it didn't yeah. taste anything like pumpkin this was like there were cherry scents nearby while mm-hmm. it was fermenting yeah yeah you're gonna get that perfect i yeah. love it um well let's crack it okay nice solid crap yeah solid crap what? Thanks, Brandon. You're welcome. You're really classing the joint up here tonight. <laughs> That's what I do. <laughs> it is what we do. Uh, We've right. gone far bluer than this. We were so classy in the intro, we had to keep it going. Well, because <laughs> we were vampires. That's good. That's... No, you were hoity-toity, ball-going types. <laughs> okay. That is beer. I like it. That's beer. And, um... If you noticed our Facebook or Instagram posts, we got a package yesterday from a fan. What? what did you open it? That's not safe. <laughs> the comments were crazy. <laughs> we got a bomb it's from a, a bag fan. of white powder. <laughs> Literally, the comments. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Like they had comments on there. It was like anthrax. <laughs> it was like unsolicited dick pics. It was like who, 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 who sent us a package? 
Um, the package from one of our biggest fans, Mr. Bill Tilson. Oh, no way. He sent Star us a Mel. package with a Star of Mel. Star of Mel. Codename Bilson. He, he wrote Bill, he signed it Bilson on there. No, he did. <laughs> so Bill Bilson Tilson. Please tell me it's Mel Merchandise. It's not Mel Merchandise. So uh, he sent Tilson us a beer so for funny. next week to do. Oh, cool. So we're going to be doing that. He also sent us some bottle openers, some pens, and wow. um, Coeur d'Alene police like patches <laughs> for to okay. use as coasters. Oh, nice. So we got a package some fan mail. That's insane. So we'll have to ship you yours. Fair. Or I'll come to Billings soon. Either or. Also fair. Fair. Um, so that Just. is it for now. Oh. Are we kicking it to me now? We're kicking it to you. You don't know, but Lucas wrote the script again. Again? Because I worked 60 hours. Again. again. Yeah. And I have a professed love of Stanley Kubrick. So I will take you through some of the skeleton framework here of the structure. Is correct, Brandon? You are correct, my good sir. <laughs> All right, today's today's movie was directed by movie. Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, movie. Um, Thanks. He's he's like an unapproachable director. We all know him. I've listed his movies here. We've talked about it before. He's done Spartacus, Lolita, Doctor Strangelove, 2001 A Space Odyssey, which we've done on this podcast, A Clockwork Orange, Barry Lyndon, The Shining here today. I don't know why I've listed the movie we're doing. And then Full Metal Jacket and Eyes Wide Shut. He's, he's Stanley Kubrick. He's the Koobs. He's a Do you guys, we might have done this in 2001, but what's your guys' history with Kubrick's films? It have was, you only seen 2001? I, I'm looking them up right yeah. now because I was listening to you and it was just 2001. I've seen bits of Eyes Wide Shut and Full Metal Jacket, mm. but never all the way through. And I had seen this like six, seven times before, so. Damn. What about you, Seth? Just these two we've done. I'd seen The Shining a few years ago. Um, but was kind of half paying attention because I was like 16 and not really like a sophisticated 16 year old. You know, I was a classic 16 year old. So it was good to rewatch. <laughs> classic edition. <laughs> what about you, Charlie? I think I saw 2001 when I was like 12 or 13. Mm. I saw Clockwork Orange when I was 17. I had my wisdom teeth out. Oh, hell yeah. Um, Perfect pairing. Yeah. Oh, like Jesus wine Christ. and cheese, The Shining and um, <laughs> a Clockwork Orange and Wisdom Tea. Yeah, and I saw The Shining in my like early twenties, and that was eye opening. We got the right guy on, boys. Oh, I remember what I was talking about about Mel listening back. It's the first time we ever <laughs> brought up Cronenberg. Really? Yeah. And How? Then flash forward a couple months, we did a Cronenberg film. Crazy, we huh? Video drum. Mel is it- a pioneer. Why did, episodes? I, why would Cronenberg come up? <laughs> we were talking about how scary it was. Or <laughs> I don't remember. We, none of us had seen Cronenberg at that time. But it is interesting here that even the wide spectrum of film lovers have all seen The Shining, it seems. Mm-hmm. It seems like almost canonical in America's filmography. Movies. Movies. What are you guys doing? Oh, Marina's just yelling in the other room. Luna's out there, and apparently Caesar's getting her. (laughs) Whatever that means. Yeah. A dog fight. A a full-on dog fight. All right. Moving on to the writer. Move on to the writer. 
I think you may have heard of him. It's Stanley Kubrick. Um, but he also co-wrote it with a novelist named Diane Johnson, who's famous for novels such as Les Divorces, Les Marriages, Les Affaires, and Lulu and Marrakesh. Um, and then obviously the movie is based on the novel by Stephen King. Yep. Were those all... Which like, I think... It, oh, sorry. Guys. Were those four separate books or was like Les Marriages, Les Divorces, <laughs> Les Affaires 1 and then French a second words, one? Yeah. With no pause I think they were <laughs> Where were the commas? separate books. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I'd never even heard of some of these books. Had you guys read these? No. The last one Charlie, sounded familiar. Did you read any of these? No. It's... I, I don't know. She seems like a really highbrow, like, gothic literature lady. But it's interesting. Le Divorce, Le Dumas, Le Mariage, Le Faire. Yeah, no. That was some good French. Oui, je pas français. Et quoi de ça? That's my French. Oui. Tu veux continuer avec moi? Oh, shit. Respondez, s'il vous plaît. Non, c'est pas grave. Ne vous préoccupez pas. All right. I don't know. I mean, I'm too we can white, talk about Stephen King a little bit if you guys want that. to. What is that? <laughs> yeah. What do you guys think about Stephen King? I am not a reader, so I don't, like, read any of his things. For but sure. I have really enjoyed, like, a ton of his movie adaptations. Because, I mean, there are some of his classic horror ones. But then you sparse in, you know, your... Your Shawshank Redemption, your Stand By Me, your, your Green Mile, your Green Miles, and then you've got you know Misery. You've got didn't you do the Mist? That was a pretty shitty movie though. I remember, but <laughs> I think he liked that movie. It's it's interesting. Me and Charlie, I think we're talking about this maybe yesterday or last week. But Stephen King often has very cinematic type of books. I feel like that, that often translate better to the film. It kind of can alleviate the problems that he often has in his books. Yeah, because Stephen King is one of those authors who just insists on just writing the thing, not really plotting it out, which means that the endings always suck. And <laughs> because of his really fertile imagination, some director is able to pick it up and turn it into something more than the sum of its parts. That was, that sounded exactly like my history on Hayao Miyazaki then, where he doesn't write anything, he just does it. <laughs> He just sort of picks it up along the way. It It is interesting, I think, because the that's prospector. sort of the case here with The Shining, where it's an unassailable masterpiece. Yeah. Kind of the same with, like, The Shawshank and Green Mile and that sort of same regard. Yeah, you just Carrie. named you just Carrie, named yeah. three masterpieces. Carrie oh, off, Carrie, fine. yeah. Brian De Palma. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Movie. Okay, moving on to our cast. <laughs> moving. I've got, it's a pretty brief cast. It's all set in one place, obviously, so it's pretty self-contained. We got Jack Nicholson. We got Shelley Duvall. We got Danny Lloyd playing a little boy. We have potentially the best name in human history, Scatman Crothers. <laughs> That's literally my second note that I took while watching this is, I'm saying it now, this, who the fuck is Scatman Crothers? Like, that took me back, like, more than the movie itself. It's like, what it's the? A, it's a six-stage name. <laughs> like, Jojo Candles. I think it might be his birth name. No, his I think he's a jazz musician. That's why it's Scatman. He is. That's... That's a what a great I'm I had to look it up. It, it's it's just a it's a name he came up with, but he did a good job with it. I think his name was Ben. <laughs> ben Crothers. Uncle Ben. It was like Benjamin Simon or something. 
And then to round it out, we got Barry Nelson and Philip Stone. Some white dudes. Nice. Very white. Kubrick loves his white dudes <laughs> in the periphery of his movies. And tapers. He loves tapers. He, does he love hates he tapers. tapers. He spent like an hour killing them. <laughs> yeah, you're right. He's cruel to them. And I I might be going on a limb here, but I think he loves the downtown spook boys. Ooh. He would if he was alive. I'll get the Ouija board out later. Him and he, he's him, long dead, so. Him and Big Rod long would dead? love. Yeah, long gone. I think he died around year two thousand, right? Yeah, I think like right after Eyes Wide Shut. Yeah, Eyes Wide Shut came out. That was ninety nine. Get him in. Yeah, so right around then. So he didn't even make it to two thousand one. I forget how old well, that movie Epstein is. Too. Got him. Oh shit. <laughs> um, for the plot of this movie today, it's for you, pops. We're getting into it. It's a family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter, where a sinister presence influences the father into violence, while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from both past and future. What? That sounds like some <laughs> some voodoo shit. It's like a Tim Allen shit. Yeah. <laughs> Tim we- Allen would have been so good as Danny in this movie. <laughs> like the age he is now, but he's playing a 10-year-old. <laughs> Danny's not here, you. Mrs. Torrance. Uh, and you're like, Tim, let's, let's be a kid here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think he was doing time at this point for his cocaine deal. Oh, and his asshole, that's right. He must, yeah, he must have been in prison. He probably got reached out to. One of my technicians was like... <laughs> sure, they tried to book him for this. <laughs> yeah. like, we no, gotta have this guy. <laughs> no doubt in my mind. <laughs> One of my technicians was like, oh, I love the Santa Claus movie so much. And I was like, oh, well, we have to watch Jesus it on the, on the podcast coming up. So it's a part of our, yeah, our we, new rule. We have to watch it? Yeah. yeah. We did, we did if I'm a guest for that one, we will be drinking through the Santa Claus. <laughs> I forgot they're Hell doing yeah. another one. They're doing the... It's a, it's a yep. 2022 one. We gotta see it in theaters, I think. Yeah, that's I think the rule. I think it's only coming to Disney Plus. Maybe I'm wrong, but I mean, we'll have to rent a theater and screen it ourselves again. <laughs> we'll have to buy it. Right, so we'll be drinking paint thinner then. Yeah. <laughs> Suit the Babcocks up too. Free asbestos. <laughs> Hell yeah! They're showing Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind in a couple weeks. Mm. Ah. I'd love to see that. You did? Yeah. I mean, again. Oh, in a in a theatrical setting. In the you guys want to hear some history? Yeah, I would love. You guys ready? Okay, I'm getting a lot of reverb in my... Because I'm going to be talking for a while, so I'm going to ditch my headphones. Ready, set, go. Wait. So Stanley Kubrick was a champion of creating one-off genre masterpieces and wanted to tackle a horror movie for a long time. He was offered and refused to direct The Exorcist because they wouldn't even let him produce it. And after the relative box office failure of Barry Lyndon in 1975, Kubrick set out to make a horror movie that was both financially and artistically successful. Jesus. Jesus. Oh my god. There was, when you picked up your headphones. Just a lot of rustling. It was just noise. Um, yeah. And I think when you took off your headphones, the like reverb a- got like four times as bad. Oh, maybe I should just keep them on and just struggle <laughs> through it then. I was... I had to pick. I heard something about The Exorcist that it wasn't going to do it, and Barry Lyndon was a flop, which you watched <laughs> recently. I did. I watched it for the first time this week, and such a beautifully charming, funny, tragic, great movie. Mm. I had never heard of that one before, so. Yeah, I think that's one of his lesser known works. It's 
it's super long, like all Kubrick movies. This is like kind of a breeze compared to his other movies. <laughs> At two hours and 26 minutes? Yeah, it's such a breeze. <laughs> yeah, and it's really grand and epic, but it's like the foibles of this like kind of like Irish Good word. delinquent. Yeah, the thank foibles? you. Foibles? Foibles. Um, I think Kubrick should really take some notes from Clifford the Big Red Dog and really trim the fat, you know? <laughs> yeah, make it an hour and a half. Yeah, the shining. I think Kubrick would see that as cramping his style. <laughs> you know, he's Cl- just really operatic with everything he does. Clifford's totally. always been cramping Kubrick's style. I Clifford and Kubrick. <laughs> that would have been an interesting adaptation. A Kubrick Clifford. Clifford right, v. Kubrick in the octagon. <laughs> another history, rather a history tidbit. Yes. Um. Kubrick had his staff bring him stacks of horror books as he planted himself in his office to read them all. Kubrick's secretary heard the sound of each book hitting the wall as the director flung it into a reject pile after reading the first few pages. Finally, one day the secretary noticed it had been a while since she had heard the thud of another writer's work biting the dust. She walked in to check on her boss and found Kubrick deeply engrossed in reading The Shining. This is driving me insane, but whatever. We can, think? we can never do this setup again. No. Unfortunately. I'm, I'm developing schizophrenia <laughs> as I talk. Early onset. <laughs> perfect. Yeah. Perfect for the film Early we watched. Onset. So. Some might say. Most. Maybe even adult onset. Yeah. I think Kubrick was such a bibliophile that he would just read a shit ton of books and look for inspiration for his films out of them. And... Yeah, he came across Stephen King's novel about this recovering alcoholic and his family going to this isolated hotel in the middle of nowhere. And he said, yeah, I can work with this. Bet. I can just tinker tinker around with this just a little bit and really make it pop. Yeah. I think, and I have another history tidbit that leads directly into that and sort of the manipulation of the novel. Because Stephen King has famously disavowed the film hates. as an adaptation of his work. I knew that he hated this film. Yeah, he hates it. And he's been at odds with the film and filmmaker for some time. He said it is the only adaptation of one of his works that he remembers hating. Um, Diane Johnson here said about the novel, Among Us, The Shining is not part of great literature. It is scary, it is effective, and it works without further ado. But it's precisely interesting to see how a very bad book can also be very effective. It's quite pretentious. But it also is true that one has less scruples when destroying it. One is aware that a great work of art is not being destroyed. So, have so it, basically, he oh. had it coming. <laughs> <laughs> have any of you guys read The Shining? Then, yep. It's from what I know. I have not read it, but it from what my mom has told me of like reading in the eighties too. Like it is very engrossing and sort of that same page turning style where it did grab a lot of the people. Is that the same for you, Charlie? Um, no, I think it's good. Mm -hmm. It's how do I put this? It's, it's a little cheesy because I think Stephen King is really putting himself in the character of Jack Torrance, but Jack Torrance in the novel is this dedicated family man. And he's really trying to get over the alcoholism and everything is coming from without it's all of the haunted hotel that's possessing him whereas in kubrick's version it's pretty clear that jack is crazy 
as they're driving up to the hotel. Yeah. There's a, yeah, there's more of like a haunted house sort of spooky Spooky. ghost behind every corner in the, Yeah. 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 And some of those scares are a little bit lame. Like we were talking about this earlier. Totally. I don't know why, but I went back to you saying like you were getting schizophrenia from the sound and from like, I was like fitting for the movie. And I was just thinking like, if you said something that like, wasn't like mental illness related at all, like, God, this sounds just giving me such bad asthma right now. And I was just like, what the hell, Brandon? <laughs> Quit thinking that. <laughs> Quit that. I'm trying to imagine like being scared by a book right now. <laughs> it's you crazy. Turn the, you turn the page you're like, ah, oh! like, my mom told me that. She came down, it was like 1980 when they were reading it, and she came down and her cousin was reading it at like three in the morning in his underwear at the kitchen table and just like sweating and like flipping pages <laughs> so quickly. He was reading it's it a like- a funny image. It's, it's like that bit where there's like Giving himself fast- jump scares when the page is too fast. It's like, like, oh my God. It's, it's literally the <laughs> fastest ghost. reader in the world. Like he's going crazy. <laughs> he never slept again. Yeah. Maybe we're all a little bit spoiled in the days of like really good TV and really good movies. But yeah, Stephen King's novels were generally pretty gripping. Um, I just think that in today's, or for today's viewer and reader, they're just a little bit cheesy. It's it's interesting. I mean, there's obviously a rich history of like horror literature before horror movies and everything. I don't know if they like were they trying to like achieve the same effect essentially, like scare, like a pulpy scare. In like the 1890s, it's in, I guess I haven't really thought about it. I think like some of those old gossip gothics, yeah, yeah, some of those old gothics definitely were doing that. And I don't know about jump scares, but yeah, that'd be interesting. I don't know. I definitely feel like the, especially the gothic influence in this movie too. Yeah. All right, last little tidbit of history here: The Shining had a prolonged and arduous production period often with very long work days. Principal photography took over a year to complete due to Kubrick's highly methodical nature. Actress Shelley Duvall famously did not get along with Kubrick, frequently arguing with them on, on set about lines in the script, her acting techniques, and numerous other things. Duvall eventually became so overwhelmed by the stress of her role that she became physically ill for months. At one point, she was under so much stress that her hair began to fall off. I it was sort of Kubrick's like famous technique in this movie of to essentially abuse Shelley Duvall to no end to get a depiction of an abused woman on screen. Yeah. Guess I, like my, girl boss. Dude. <laughs> my, <laughs> yeah. my, I was talking with this about my mom when I said that we were doing the shine and she's like, didn't Shelley Duvall like go like crazy during the filming of this? Cause like Kubrick would make her film the same scene like 200 times in a row just to get mm-hmm. her to lose her mind about it. And then that would be the take that they would use. So yeah, totally. I mean, it fits in with her character. I think a hundred percent completely. Yeah, it's just we have to question the ethics of an, a director like actually abusing someone to get the portrayal of a abused person. That's fair. Can't question a dead man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah but, but on can't. the other hand, you know, you can't fake that kind of emotion. That's true. I mean, that's part of why The Shining, I think, is so unassailable because everything was done with the most like authenticity as possible. There's appar- no cutting corners. Yeah. Okay. Well, and apparently Shelley Duvall and Stanley Kubrick, they were cool after the movie was released. Well, that's good. Uh, yeah. She wasn't like 
scarred to work with him. I don't think he ever offered it again. They, were, they only were, made two more. Afterwards, they were friends with benefits. They really, they really made <laughs> him, they hit yeah. it off like crazy. <laughs> Like he he's actually kind of a chill dude, you know. When he's not abusing me, he's a great guy. Hey, I just left my husband who just tried to murder me and my kid. Do you want to do you want to go out with me? Oh, that was a movie, Shelley. We just <laughs> filmed a shaking, movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, lighting her cigarette in her hand. <laughs> That's good. All right, off the cheery topic of abused women, do you guys want to guess the budget of this movie? If you're doing the books, you better not fudge it. So let's play a game called Guess That Budget. Oh my god. I don't want to guess anymore. <laughs> Good. Moving on. We sped through it today. What do you guys think the budget of this one? Shiny, 1980. Charlie, do you want to go first? I don't know if you know the answer. Uh, I'm going to guess like $27 million. Not bad. Shouldn't have gone first. <laughs> so you want to go last? What's that? You want to go last? Yeah, I'll go last. <laughs> I know what you're thinking now. <laughs> um, knowing Kubrick... There, you guys there? Yeah. Hello. 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 All right, Seth, your turn to guess. What? Oh, okay. He did write the script. Uh, I got skipped. Twenty-eight million. (laughs) Bob, there's a there's a big void. Brandon, your turn. Um, knowing Kubrick, it's nineteen eighty. I don't know the the money thing, but knowing him, he likes to spend quite a bit. But there's not a ton packed into this, as far as like effects or anything it's just brilliant filmmaking i'm gonna go 20 million nearly hit it on the head it is 19 million dollars yes fuck oh. yeah seth you're in last place that's fair it's bound to come back to <laughs> me. or is it like the price is right if you go over you're just out seth always wants to play seth by seth by uh price is right rules by seth rules where are you going seth oh, he's just adjusting i tried to do that <laughs> Getting a good view up his nostrils, it's good. <laughs> kind of forgot the camera was on there. I was just trying to turn the volume off. Now we're both in here. You're hey. supposed to position it for just you. What the fuck are you doing? Where we... we go? All Seth. right, Brandon, your turn to guess. Opening weekend in the Americas, in American Canada. Twelve million. Okay. Seth. Um. I don't know, like thirteen million. Fuck you! I, 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 I didn't want to say nine. That was my next guess. What about you, Charlie? I'm gonna say eight million. It's it's kind of a goofy one. It's only six hundred twenty-two thousand three hundred thirty-seven dollars. That is pretty goofy. <laughs> goofy guy. Yeah, I think it was a limited release. They only released it on like ten screens or something like that. Oh, so, so made it, a crazy amount per screening. But it was very limited. Not like a true opening weekend, then. No, and I believe it came out the same weekend as Empire Strikes Back, too. Well, it's fucked, then. Yeah, exactly. Why would they do that? Now, why would he do that? Because it's Kubrick. (laughs) I'll show you Luke Skywalker. He definitely got an ego and made $600,000. It was a goof. (laughs) Jack Torrance (laughs) versus Luke Skywalker in their prime. Luke Skywalker with a lightsaber and Jack Torrance with the axe. With Best on best. A crazy man versus a trained, like, the militant soldier. Shine. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Uh, the force. Still, I'm, I'm liking this conversation. <laughs> the force clearly wins. There's the a clear winner, but it's a fun wins. conversation. <laughs> Luke Skywalker. That makes wins. Danny Luke Skywalker, and Jack is Darth Vader. Yeah, oh. the parallels are uncanny, and they're there. <laughs> All right, they're, they're, they're definitely Johnny. there. So, for us and Canada total, Seth, we'll go with you first. 
You say my name? You're going first, yes, sir. Total. Canada and U.S. Right. Um, 22 million. Okay. Brando? I was going to say 31. Okay, and Charlie? Uh, I'm going to go low. I'm going to say 12 million. 12 million. Totally, it made 45 million. $634,000. Kind of a late bloomer. It's interesting. I don't know if horror had sort of taken the box office fascination that it has today, where like every horror movie makes a trillion dollars. But, I don't know. Quite a bit. Made its money back. Yeah, it did. I think he satisfied his goal of being commercially successful. And worldwide, do we think... What do we think it is here? Charlie will go first. It made forty-five million domestic, worldwide total. Let's say sixty-two million. Okay. Seth. Forty-five million. Okay, interesting. Brandon. Motherfucker, I was gonna say forty-eight, but now I need to bump it up a little bit, so I'm not a cop. Fifty-two million. Oh. 52 million, Steve. I think Seth is still closest overall because it was 47. I should have said 48, motherfucker. You should have done prices right, man. I'm not gonna, we're not gonna do that. I'm not gonna be a cheap ass like you. I'm a winner, is what I am. (laughs) Call me what you will. Uh, call yourself a winner when you buy your fucking fans a Subaru, you ass. Okay, that's fair. (laughs) I was thinking about buying you a Hot Wheel so you could ship it to a. A fan of just like a Subaru. Oh yeah, I can we do didn't that. specify what kind of Subaru. I could definitely do that. Okay, I have to go to Walmart tomorrow. For giveaway a month. Yeah, we still have to do that giveaway. Mm-hmm. Who won? I was going to announce it on next week. No, t- today. Okay, let's we'll wait to the it? end. I guess. No, we should do it next week because we need to give the whole month of October. So if you're listening. <laughs> Like, no, because this is going to come out by the time we record next week. So, yeah. So we're fucked. So I'm going to announce it at the end. Yeah. I'm so excited. I hope it's me. <laughs> you didn't submit anything. <laughs> Wait, what? All right. Are you guys ready for some taglines? Yes. Yes, All sir. Right, I got four of them. Make Charlie do them. Yeah. Oh, good idea. Cut your teeth. Charlie. So we got our four <laughs> taglines right there. This is my old job. Do it right. Iconic terror from the number one bestseller writer. Nice. A masterpiece of modern horror. The horror is driving him crazy. (laughs) He came as the caretaker, but this hotel had its own guardians. Been Mm. there a long time. Nice. (laughs) I love the dual Charlie. Yeah, he beat me already. I feel like shit now. <laughs> um, I was surprised, Seth, before we get into our favorite, that you didn't laugh at he came. I tried my best not to. I was this close. Every you know, that's a every wild time. tagline. He came, he came as a caretaker, but the hotel had its own guardians who'd been there a long time. Yeah. That yeah. kind of gives away an interpretation of it, a movie. It does a little bit. Yeah, that's yeah, like a, a, an interpretation I hadn't really thought of to this point either. I didn't know it needed protecting. Of course. And also, like, the tagline kept getting better, and at a certain point, it was like, okay, that's enough. Stop, stop. <laughs> enough. I think that's a run-on at that point, and that's not what taglines <laughs> are for. Put a comma. You need a semicolon. <laughs> There's no commas in the yeah. tagline. 
Kubrick was not one for brevity. <laughs> what, was, what was the third one again? Um, the horror is driving him crazy. That one was kind of goofy to me. I think it's good, but it made me laugh the a little bit. One. It does. The f- I don't like a- any of the ones that are ever like, you know, based on this book or, you know, coming this. But the first one, actually, I didn't hate. Probably would have been effective at the mm-hmm. time. All right. Moving moving on to Cat's Facts time. Cat's Facts. Well, we got to come up with a name. We always uh, rename Cat's Facts. We got... We got oh, the, the facts. It's the Jack, Jack facts. Jack facts. A lot of Jacks in this movie. Yeah, that could be Jack facts. It's got to be Jack facts or Axe facts. I'll, Does it have to I'll, be Jack facts? All work and no facts make Jack a dull boy. All facts and no facts makes facts a dull fact. You always put too many into <laughs> the the big phrase of the movie. All facts and Jack no play facts? is good though. Okay, Seth, all facts, no play. Yeah. All facts and no play. Yeah. Oh, all my facts goodness no gracious. Makes the good, the bad, and the movies a dull boy. Woo! Nice. Stay away from me. Please. Don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. Stay away from me. Wendy. Stay away. Darling, light of my life. I'm not going to hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your brains in. I'm going to bash them right the fuck in. (laughs) Stay away from me. Don't hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. Stay away from me. Stay away from me. Please. Stop swinging the bat. Stay away from me. Put the bat down, Wendy. Stop it. Wendy. Give me the bag. Please! Get away! Give me the bag. Stop it! Cat's facts. So this is our, for the new listeners and Charlie, this is our section where we do trivia on the movie, some goofy trivia. So here we go. To get Jack Nicholson in the right agitated mood, he was fed only cheese sandwiches for two weeks, which he hated. I And I'm sure it was just Kraft Singles. On like white Wonder Bread, <laughs> was it just, it had to have been. Was it just uncooked? Like it's just cheese. Yeah, not bread, grilled cheese. No sauce. Son of a bitch. Yeah. yeah. I think that'll get you in the mood to kill your family. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, it's better For than two the week straight. It's better than yeah. Christian Bale on the Machinist, which was an apple and a pack of cigarettes a day. So well, a whole pack of cigarettes. Too, I, <laughs> I don't know how many he smoked, but I know it was an apple a day, and it did not keep the doctors away. <laughs> an <laughs> apple a day gives you. Plus a cigarette. <laughs> An apple a day kills you. If it's just the apple. Uh, yeah. yeah. Our next cat's fact, a famous one, is that the production needed over 60 doors and eventually a stronger reinforced door for the scene where Jack smashes it with an axe, as Nicholson had no problem chopping his way through a door as a former volunteer fire marshal. <laughs> oh. So he's just like, get these weak-ass doors out of my way. Just rip it through. <laughs> That's really funny. <laughs> like, can you... you know when you watch that scene, like, he's got some pretty good, like, Great body form, dynamics. Yeah. Can, yeah. can you tone it back a little bit, Jack? We're going through too many doors here. We need you to look crazy, not like a professional. <laughs> okay, guys, I'm really sorry, I swear. <laughs> um, the next Catman fact. Uh, retake. I Did I say Catman fact? Catman, Scat, facts. Scatman facts. Oh, oh Scat we should have said the Scatman facts. 
Or Scat Fact. Scat Fact. Which is just Because Scat Man Brothers was in Bronco Billy of 1981, directed by Clint Eastwood after this film. He broke down in tears following the filming of his first scene as Eastwood famously only does single takes and recordings for his movie. So he's like, I didn't have to be here for 17 days. He just did that in one take. <laughs> he, oh he, literally went from, he literally went from Clint Eastwood solo take man to Kubrick 200 take man. The other way man. around. Yeah. Yeah. Just so grateful. And Scatman Scrubber, Scruthers. Crothers, rather. <laughs> Crothers. Uh, he's a jazz musician, so everything that he did was like an improvisation. Improvisation. I'm having a stroke over here. Don't worry yeah. about me. He's having it a stroke. Smells strong... like burnt toast. <laughs> So I'd imagine that Kubrick's very methodical way of doing things was probably real frustrating for Scatman Crothers. I think you mean yeah, Skubrick? Skubrick, yes. His name literally is like Improvation Man. <laughs> and he has to go with the most rigid director in movie history. That's fine. Exactly. Um, my next cat fact here is that Danny Lloyd famously didn't know he was filming a horror movie and was told they were making a drama movie to preserve his innocence and temperament. He didn't see a full cut of the film until he was 17, but he did remain in touch with Kubrick throughout their lives. Nice. That, it's funny because I, there's a YouTube video that I watched once where it was like, where they make like movie trailers, but in a different theme. And they did The Shining, but as, like, a family movie. And it's just, like, so yeah. much of, like, Danny being happy, like, riding his tricycle around. And they're throwing the ball to each other. And he sees the twin girls, and they're all having fun. And <laughs> A couple of playmates. Yeah. The Grady twins. That's fun. Um, let's see here. This is a kind of a funny one along once. Stephen King was first approached by Stanley Kubrick about making this movie via an early morning phone call. Um, King, of course, was suffering from a hangover. He was shaving and at first thinking one of his kids was injured and he was shocked when his wife told him Stanley Kubrick was on the phone. King recalled that the first thing Kubrick did was to immediately start talking about how optimistic ghost stories are because they suggest that humans survive death. What about hell? King asked. Kubrick paused for several moments before finally replying, I don't believe in hell. King replied stating that there are people who do and that they fear it more than death itself. And Kubrick took that to heart. Hmm. I just like the idea that, like, Stephen King, his wife comes in, he's, like, shaving, and she's like, there's a phone call. He's like, my kids are hurt? Like, he immediately jumps to that. What <laughs> it was, like, 7 in the morning. I like yeah, where were his kids? The fact was, naturally, he was hangover. Was King yeah, a bit of a drinker? Oh, yeah. Okay. I, didn't, I just didn't know hung, that. I didn't know the fact was Of course he was hungover and shaving. Of course he's hungover and shaving. His two favorite things. That was kind of his entire 1970s, writing. right? Was basically alcoholism and substance abuse. Oh, yeah. When his family had to intervene to get a put a stop to it, they had to, like, empty all these trash cans of bloody Kleenexes with cocaine residue oh, and geez. empty whiskey bottles God, and all this other shit. This guy's my fucking hero. <laughs> Sounds like a Wednesday night for me. <laughs> There's hope for me and Brandon. The then. pharmacist, yes. I lost Brandon on my feed. That's okay. He's got on my feed, too. Um, penultimate fact here. I'm just going to keep this up until I come back on. Can't see. There you go. <laughs> um... Kubrick and his secretary typed out all of the hundreds of pages of manuscript in the movie themselves, insisting on the authenticity of the typing sounds and errors in human mass type. So everything he saw was actually typed out by Kubrick and his secretary. Nice. That poor secretary. All working <laughs> no play makes Jack a dull boy. Yeah, she probably, probably Shelley Duvall. 
She probably did a thousand of those, and, and Kubrick did one. That's why she couldn't hold the bat <laughs> yeah. right at the end. Her fingers were still just crippled from typing. Yeah. <laughs> so much. She she could type forty five. Stay away from me. Forty five words. She thought she was Darth a second Maul on the typewriter. What was that? She thought she was Darth Maul and dual wielding the bat. She could hit with both ends. Another Star Another Wars reference. Parallel. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy. If you um, didn't, if you didn't tie Shelley Duvall to Darth Maul, I don't know what you were thinking. Because <laughs> clearly, Darth Maul came out in 1990, 1999 with the Phantom Menace. Yeah, so there's a clear you, line there. You're you're connecting this movie 19 years later to her with the baseball bat. Yeah. All right. Our <laughs> penalt our our ultimate fact rather. Um, always our nominations. It was nominated for Worst Actress and Worst Director at the Razzie Awards. Um, kind of famously panned when it came out. and But Scatman Crothers did win Best Supporting Actor at the Saturn Awards. Oh, hell yeah. Um, and then I have a couple other things on American Film Institute's list of 100 Years, 100 Thrills. It came in at number 29. Okay. Ooh, excuse me, Jesus. Bless you. Uh, <laughs> On AFI's 100 Years, 100 Heroes and Villains list, Jack Torrance came in at the number 25 villain. Okay. And the 100 Years, 100 movie quotes from the American Film Institute, Here's Johnny, came in at number 68. Was Red Rum on there at all? I don't believe so. I think it only had one per movie. Movie. Alrighty. Surprised about the movie. Surprised about the Razzie things. Yeah, I think they also retracted the worst actress nomination for Shelley Duvall because they were like she was basically tortured but they didn't retract the Stanley Kubrick one they're like he's dead we don't need to retract it (laughs) no it became such a cultural mainstay though that you know I'm sure by the by 1985 Stanley Kubrick was like yeah whatever I don't care who gives a shit yeah exactly and it was already probably in the throes of being reevaluated and celebrated as maybe it should be we'll find out yeah let's get into the so movie let's get into the movie 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 ha cha 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 no that's not that's how we how she's rolling the the movie reel she she says ha cha 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 yeah oh our dogs are being assholes oh no loon she's in here for her own protection she's so good oh my go on caesar loon I love you. I didn't explain this bit to Charlie. Normally, at this point in the podcast, we have a character of Nicole Kidman who's usually terrifying us in some way. <laughs> I, when did that come about? Don't tell me Mel, because there's no way <laughs> well, that's. We when were it already talking about Nicole Kidman and Mel, so yeah. But it was definitely not before you came on. I turned Nicole Kidman into a monster because we did. I think Seth or Lucas and I before that were saying like Nicole Kidman here from time to time, but we had never turned her into the monster that she is now that haunts our dreams and movie theaters worldwide. She so canonically thus far, she has tentacles hidden under a trench coat. (laughs) She stalks around every movie theater, usually on the ceilings. I think will punch you or something if you have your cell phone out or like eat it in front of you. Yeah, She breaks it. I remember that. Uh, she, there was she had one to fight in a UFC match once upon a time. <laughs> yeah, who fighting? did she fight in the UFC? Wasn't she fighting Mel? No, uh, she wasn't. I think well, it she was Mark fight. Wahlberg. Maybe she did fight Mel, but oh, that might have been the Transformers episode. I think she fought Mark Wahlberg. No, that was no. We talked about her in the UFC way earlier than that. Okay, I don't remember who she fought. 
I don't know either. I think it was Mel. No, well, she did fight Mel at she one point. Mel, the turtle. Anyways, let's get into the move. Yeah. Dang, we wasted this one on reminiscing. Nicole Kidman here! <laughs> Me and Charlie also don't have a ton of notes on the plot, so we're going to rely on you, Brandon. Okay, because I, I, I took too many notes on the plot. All right, starting out. We have uh, some more, like, bigger discussion points. We'll get sure. to, I'm sure. You start out in Glacier National Park. Like, it immediately opens to the movie. There's, like, not really any production. It's just like, boom. We're in Glacier, driving scenes, beautiful helicopter shots as a car drives, winding some barren roads to the the ominous tense music just to this beautiful driving scene already kind of sets the tone right away. Is that another fun fact? What? Glacier Park? Isn't that in Montana? Yeah, it's the going to the sun road. That's That's what they filmed it on. Oh. And uh, my next note, who the fuck is Scatman Crothers? But then um, shot of a big hotel all alone on a mountain. And you get, like, a title screen that just says, The Interview. I think we also, like, famously don't get the hedge maze, right? On the outside of the, the first exterior shot. You don't. Yeah. Is that, like, a goof? Or is that Stanley Kubrick being, like, this hotel's wacky and spooky and stuff? Weird Almost shit like there's a twist around every corner. Mm. There was no hedge maze in the book. Mm. So oh, shit. Kubrick just kind of adapted that. He did, yeah. It was his own invention, like to have this labyrinth that kind of echoes in the hotel. Yeah, and and Kubrick was a famously very Jungian thinker, mm-hmm. and for Jung, the uh, the spiral or the labyrinth was a symbol for attaining greater consciousness. Dang, deep, fucking deep. So, like, the deeper you go, like the the closer you are to consciousness. Then, well, and look at the ending with Danny. He gets to the middle of the maze and tricks his father, and he's yeah. able to escape. Yeah. He reaches the total consciousness. Spoilers. He reaches, he reaches Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. Spoilers Danny for the we're talking about. Spoilers. <laughs> that we just started talking about. Well, they don't know he reaches Nirvana yet. <laughs> he doesn't know they reach Nirvana. Um, but yeah, the interview. Jack Torrance, played by Jack Nicholson, interviewing for some position at the hotel. Um, and back at home, his mother... Uh, Wendy and his son, Danny, are talking about living in the hotel all winter long. Danny's not excited, and neither is Tony, his imaginary friend that is his finger, but that lives within him. Yeah, it's it's an inter- right in the book, Tony is like his future self. Is that sort of the idea? No, I think Tony's still like an imaginary friend. Mm. Um, but yeah, Tony comes from without. He doesn't but live the inside of Danny's mouth. Book. Didn't we retire that bit, Brandon? No, not at all. No, we just replaced the children with different words. With the now. bitches. Yeah. <laughs> the bitches loved the bitches the love last night. Children love the bitches. Last week my uh my bird demic notes were the the children love the birds. <laughs> instead, yeah. Well Birdemic oddly enough, both times took the same inspiration from the Shining's opening with the winding roads. Fuck it again. Yeah. They did it again. And, um, yeah, so Tony is some imaginary friend and his finger, mouth, soul, whatever. And Jack's preparing. His job is to stay in the hotel all winter from November to May in this hotel and keep it operational and the boilers running and all that. And my question is, because he's a teacher out of Denver, why the mm-hmm. fuck did he get- Vermont, I think, right? Yeah, Vermont. Oh, well, it, this is in This is, this in, is in Denver, yep. Why the fuck did yeah, he get Colorado, headhunted yeah. as a Vermont teacher That's a, to be I, a 
caretaker. I had that same question. I think Charlie, Charlie, is there an answer, right? Yeah. From the book, he was working at this prep school in Vermont and he was starting to develop his alcohol problem. Okay. And his drinking buddy found Vermont recommended him for the job after he got shit canned from the prep school that he was working in. So this was a chance for him to clean up, work on his writing, get things right, and then come back to the world. Okay. It's kind of like his seedy friend also like throwing him a bone too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was just like I got picked for this job. I was like, how? You have zero qualifications for this. You live so far away. But okay, that does make a little sense. Um, And so... The guy that's interviewing him, Mr. Ullman, he uh, mm-hmm. keeps telling him how hard the winters are and the problems with the isolation being alone. And I don't know if it was you guys. Did you notice like a change in camera quality when it's shooting Mr. Ullman? And then when it shoots Jack, like his looks mm, like a lot fuzzier, like an older style camera. We didn't notice that. I We did notice when they would cut back to Ullman every time that the ashtray would be in like a different spot, right? Or the pen oh, would be askew yeah. too. Or there'd be like a bunch of cigarette butts in the ashtray that weren't yeah. there before. Yeah. It's, I think it, it lends to your point, Brian. I think it's all purposeful. It's even in these like little tiny mistakes. It's like Kubrick's like this hotel is messing with everything. You know, you look here, the next the pen's gone. It's just like, yeah, the hotel moving stuff around. And I, it's me knowing the end. So I'm like, looking for other things now as i've seen it many times but i was like you know maybe mr omen isn't interviewing jack himself and it's like a time difference of like you know this is him interviewing somebody new with the new quality camera versus jack Mm. when he first did it and recollecting back on the 1970s shit i don't know i was coming to conclusions yeah, I didn't notice anything but, like, the weird style of acting that was going on. Seth's like, I didn't notice anything at all. <laughs> yeah, I actually had my eyes closed. <laughs> I'm, just a, I'm just a guy. <laughs> yeah, I was asleep, and I just lied until now. Lied <laughs> asleep. Well, so I, I kind of noticed that, but Stuart Ullman starts to tell Jack about the horrific incident in the winter of 1970 at this hotel, because some people... Uh, back out of the job upon the news and it was a man charlie grady had stayed there and ended up killing his wife and two daughters with an axe chopping them to bits because he had gone insane over the winter pretty spooky stuff yeah i mean this hotel's got a a history a kind of a negative aura to it so hey 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 he's trying to eat your bear booger bear or mr bear i don't know or blueberry. Okay. I can't tell them apart. <laughs> and um, so with that, you cut to a scene of Danny standing at a sink talking to Tony with some ominous music behind saying that Jack already got the job and is about to call. Like Tony, Tony slash Danny knows that they're going to be accepting the job and moving there regardless if it has happened yet or not. And just then the phone rings. Jack tells Wendy he got the job. He's very cold to Wendy, too, right? Did you guys notice that? Very businesslike. Or Jack. Or, yeah, to his wife, sorry. Yeah. Jack was cold to his wife. The whole movie. Well, yeah, but even though, like, he was so charming in his way to, like, the interviewer, and he calls, like, yeah, I got the job. I won't be home. See ya. That was it. You don't know. Great, honey. She offered to make him sandwiches, and he screamed in her face at one point. 
that's i mean that's abuse for you yeah yeah dude's an asshole (laughs) (laughs) yeah what are you gonna do about it you know dude's an asshole um danny keeps asking tony why he doesn't want to go to the hotel and he says he doesn't know and immediately you cut like quarter second scene like uh just like cuts to blood flowing out of an open elevator doors two girls in matching dresses standing together and danny's face up close like mouth agape just like looking like he's screaming with no audible noise just kind of a a a dull hum to everything yeah i was uh, talking about this with charlie last night but nice thank you kubrick is the master of doing like these little quick like flash shots, you know, on a screen. And when like a normal horror movie would stretch these out for like five or 10 seconds, you just get like a little like psychic flash and you're wondering like, is that real? What's going on? Instead of actually playing up the horror part of it, I think. I think that actually builds the suspense mm-hmm. and it gets people questioning their own sanity. Yeah, totally. Like, did I just see what I just saw? Kind of like a fight club mm, style too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Fight club. Mm-hmm. Fight club. You love Fight Club. I do love Fight Club. Um, I've always said that this movie, like the subject matter itself, isn't necessarily, as the film goes, like a horror film in any way. It's the filmmaking that makes it kind of a horror film. There's Hmm. such a tension that's drawn so thin that at any point it could break and you don't know where it's going to be. And it's just through camera angles, tracking shots, the music. It's just, it's like, it shouldn't be scary, but yet it keeps you on edge. It's like pulling a rubber band, afraid of when it's going to snap you. And then when it finally does. Ooh, that's good. I mean, that's like like, Nicholson's performance too. It's like blowing up a balloon and not knowing when it's going to pop. Oh, somebody do another one. Somebody do another one. It's when you blow up a bike tire and don't know when it's going to (laughs) pop. Do another one, Charlie. Ooh. It's like when you pull on a rub. No, we've already done that one. Um, I think I, I think we're good with metaphors. Yeah. I was ready for one more. It's just like it's like when you're taking off your shirt. And you, like it doesn't match at all. I was just ready for something <laughs> That's like the that. whole thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like when you take your shirt off. Then there's no and. It's just, it's just like when you take your shirt off and you're off. disappointed with your body place. underneath. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, my God. Funny. Well, um, so after this, after all these little cuts, Danny is being examined by a doctor. Apparently, he fainted during his little talk with Tony in these flash scenes. And Doc tries to get her to tell him about Danny. Um, but he doesn't want to talk about Tony anymore. Tony says he should... Danny shouldn't talk about him anyway, so. There's also the big implication that Jack may have abused Danny because he's like, what, when did this happen about? He's like, oh, when he dislocated his shoulder, you know, th- five months ago or whatever, when Jack came home and yanked him across the room. He grabbed yeah. him a little too hard, you know? A little drunky poo. But I love savvy. being drunky poo. Yeah. And, um. Wendy tells the doctor a big story yeah, about dislocating his shoulder, and but now he's sober, so it's fine. And then you get another title card, Closing Day. The whole family is making their way up to the hotel, um, and the whole drive, it's just scary music, but they're talking about the Donner Party and cannibalism. It's like, great talk, great family talk on your drive to the hotel you're going to be staying at for six months. And we were talking about this last night, the amount of disdain and contempt that he has for his wife and children, mm-hmm. rather child, in that scene in the car, it's just palpable. 
You yeah, should have eaten your breakfast. <laughs> yeah, the only time he smiles or has any sort of interest is when they start talking about cannibalism. About cannibalism. <laughs> I didn't notice that. He's, he's grinning ear to ear. Cannibalism? See, what? What's so the fuck? On the television. If his kid's hungry, he couldn't give a shit. But if people are hungry, like out in the woods, now we're talking. Well, if people are eating one another, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Well, I thought he just smiled after, because he mentioned cannibalism and his, and Wendy was like, you shouldn't talk about that. And, and Danny's like, oh, I saw it on the television. It's okay. And he goes, oh, you see, he saw it on the television. Everything's fine now. Like, I thought it was more, <laughs> he was like sarcastically smiling at like our boys being raised by a TV, being mad at Wendy for just another sure. reason, instead of like smiling about the cap or capitalism, cannibalism. About the Capulets. <laughs> That's definitely the part of Romeo and Juliet yeah. kind of thing. He always has to mentally dominate Wendy every turn. Yeah. Yeah, he's obsessed with being smarter than everybody else in the room. Especially his wife. Yeah. Dumb and bitch. she just never, like, like, tries to challenge that. She's like, fine, whatever, okay. Yeah, yeah and she's consistently, like, a supportive spouse. Yeah. She's a great spouse. Yeah, the whole time. Yeah. That's why the beginning acting, compared to the acting at the end, felt stylistic, like it was uh, stage play almost. Like, it's like you're watching mm. it behind curtains. You know, instead of like on a movie screen in the beginning, like it's the classic mean husband, very supportive wife. You're taking a side immediately and you keep taking that side to the end. But like the acting, it's more realistic, I guess, to me towards the end of it. It just feels very plastic in the beginning. Like, oh, we've seen this trope a thousand times. And you're like, oh, what the hell's going on now? Like, this is not with what it was. Like in regards to Duvall's performance? I, both of them, just in conjunction with each other, I should say. Mm. Like Nicholson and Duvall, like both. That relationship specifically and the way they go about it in the first 30, 40 minutes or so, it just seems like something you've seen a hundred times before. And maybe that's just me living in the year 2022, having seen it a hundred times before. Sure. But yeah, it just felt much different from what it turns into. I mean, no, it is much different, right. yeah. Could you Yeah, imagine? there is kind of the trope, but like an onion, you peel the layers off and it gets more and more complex and horrifying. Like an ogre. Oh my god. Exactly. I get it now. <laughs> when you peel an ogre. Thank you guys. You see I the shining on now. the inside. <laughs> Shrek had the shine. <laughs> like <laughs> That's Shrek how he beat the all those soldiers in the beginning at Lord Farquaad's place. <laughs> he had the he knew what was coming next. Yeah. <laughs> he he had envisioned this battle for eons. I don't know how long ogres live. Anybody eons, have a guess right. on how long ogres live? Twenty million. Twenty million, Steve. <laughs> well, Everyone is at the hotel, touring the hotel, and um, Danny gets hung up in the game room playing darts. Fucking crash zoom on some screechy-ass music. He looks over to see those two young girls he had the premonition about just standing side by side. And that's about it. I had a question about the crash zoom. Question? Yeah. Did that not age well, or... Is it just the way the crash zoom is used anymore that made me laugh? It's probably... Maybe both. I don't I'm remembering this, the crash zoom. There's a There's few like in the four movie. Four crash zooms. They in the do movie. it on a dead body later, and I couldn't help but chuckle. Because <laughs> crash zooms anymore are just like you're zooming in on somebody's face for like a comedic effect. Yeah. So seeing it back oh, then, I, I was like, it. oh, that's hilarious. The California. Probably at that time, it probably wouldn't have seen as so dated. Not as coded in comedy. Yeah. 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 I think it's dated. Okay. We've yeah. decided. And, um,. That's about it for that whole scene of him doing all that shit, but 
Somebody Ooh. is showing Mindy and Jack all about the hedge maze and how Wendy. people can get lost. Or yeah, Mindy. Mindy. Why did I say that? Wendy and Jack all about the hedge maze and how people can get lost in there. And also shows them the gold room, the snow cap, basically all the amenities. And the head chef, Scatman Crothers, Dick, takes Danny and Wendy to show them the kitchen while Jack goes with the other guy. And he's showing them all this meat. And I was like, why are you showing that? Wendy just said that she can't cook worth shit. Why are you showing her racks of lamb? You guys are going to lose so much money on goddamn protein in here if she's trying to cook racks mm. of lamb. I saw it as foreshadowing with, you know, like dead Wrong. carcasses yep. in the frozen. I think that's kind of what they were going yeah. for. No, it's definitely think, what yep. they were going for. <laughs> but still, don't cook rack of lamb if you don't know how to cook. Simply. Yeah. Thank like, you, Take your best guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, how else are you going to learn? I mean, I guess start with what, something that isn't culinary rack of school, lamb? huh? How are you going to learn? Pharmacy school. Brandon knows how to cook lamb. <laughs> yeah, I went through pharmacy school. I can cook a hell of a lamb. And um, so, after all this whole thing, Dick called Danny Doc in this, like, pantry, which is his nickname. And they, Wendy's all scared. She's like, I've never called him Doc yet, but that we do call him that. And I just, my note is just weird. What the hell? His justification was funny too. He's like, he just looks like a doc, you know. <laughs> What's up, doc? And then he says, "I think he heard it." Yeah, but he also has like this ESP, which we know is the Shine now with Danny too, where they're talking. He's like, "You like ice cream, Danny?" And then he asks, and he asks about prunes and keeping regular. I don't know if that's a quote. <laughs> he so. did. You gotta, you gotta keep regular. You know, you have too that's much so ice cream. You gotta have some prunes. <laughs> he likes to have a little toilet humor. Remember in 2001, they had the space toilet? Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, with the nine yeah. rules or ten <laughs> yeah, the rules. nine the rules eight, for the surviving eight, yeah. the space toilet. Yeah. <laughs> Don't get sucked through. <laughs> Rule number one. <laughs> that sounds like I had to get a guy in ten days kind of movie. <laughs> I had to not get sucked through the space toilet. Yeah. Nine in ten days. To, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, and so, yeah, he does this little telepathic talk is a high-pitched screech starts and they just left danny with dick to go get ice cream and dick starts telling danny about he knew his name was doc and how he could carry on a conversation with his grandma without moving his mouth when he was younger and this ability they called the shining mm -hmm. there it is the movie i pointed at the screen when i heard that <laughs> last i was like fuck and danny tells him he isn't supposed to talk about this ability because T tony tells him not to and Dick is honestly very concerned about Tony, wants to know if he has shown Danny anything about the Overlook Hotel. He knows. He can sense I, it. I thought it was interesting. I talked with uh, Charlie that they were basically equals. They're both sitting here with their hands crossed and they're like leveling with each other. Like, all right, what's what's your deal? This is my deal. Which yes. I think is interesting. I don't know. There's obviously probably some racial implications with with Halloran sort of being equal with a child. It's kind of like a lot a, of Native American imagery going on. Kind of like too. a Yoda versus Darth Sidious, you know? Yes, totally. For another Star Wars parallel. Mm -hmm. On I the other hand, I think that Halloran would just see this young kid with no idea what he's seeing and want to help the kid out because he's probably sensed that there's something wrong with Jack and there's probably problems in the marriage between Jack and Wendy and Danny's going to get caught up in it. And they're going to be all by themselves in the middle of the mountains. 
That's part of his like premonition of the shine. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure that it was just Dick having a compassionate heart for a child. Mm -hmm. That was more what I saw. Not that the racial inequality isn't there throughout. Well, I mean, probably a lot of movies back then. But I, I more just saw like since they both had the shine, he understood the power so much, and he understood that like you know everything before and everything after. So it's not so much like a kid and an adult. It's like two people at different parts in the timeline, but they still know mm. the whole timeline together. Huh. So you didn't get the Palpatine Yoda. I didn't get the yeah. Palpatine Yoda. Mm. You yeah. That went over your head. You yeah. missed that one. I'm, I'm, On the other hand, we haven't all been to pharmacy school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you yeah. learn. Yeah. You learn. The first things you he's learn. Got, he's got Star Wars parallels. It's not cool. <laughs> Star Wars parallels and rack of lamb cooking. <laughs> and then uh, later on, you'll get to the meds. Surprising how little that comes up, though. <laughs> Yeah, they. It's weird. What every day at work, I've never been asked about how to cook rack of lamb yet. One day. I'm You're waiting still new. for the day. It'll be my time to shine. So, um, yeah, Dick cannot hide anything from Danny, and that there's something bad in the hotel. And he says people who shine can suppose, like we said, see the future and in the past when others can't see them. And Danny brings up, he's like, "What's wrong with room two thirty seven? He knows Dick's scared of the room, but Dick says he isn't scared. But he should stay out of the room just in case. It was very like this is everything's okay. It's a cool hotel, no worries. And he's like, "What about two thirty-seven? He's like, "Fuck you, kid, stay out of there." <laughs> it's fine, but stay away. Yeah, from it. there was totally friends until two thirty-seven came up, and yeah. then you get title card one month later. I think the use of the title cards in here adds to the suspension because each time you get a title card, you're like, "Something's fucking wrong. What's wrong?" something else about those title cards is instead of giving meaning and context they disorient even more because it's one month away from what nobody knows yeah and then when you get to tuesday thursday whatever you have no frame of reference for it that's exactly i was gonna bring that up yeah that was hilarious was using it to disorient the interview 8 30 a.m one month later and then just tuesday tuesday it was very disorienting it went tuesday thursday and then like 8 a.m and you're like, was that 8 a.m. on Thursday? Like, you when? don't know. There's this Louis Buñuel movie that I think movie. Kubrick might have been drawing from here. I'm trying to find what it is while Alex does dishes. Um, God, if he says Star Wars Episode Six: Revenge of the Sith, I'm going to lose my fucking mind over here. I would be very surprised <laughs> if he's even thinking about that movie. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't find it. <laughs> You in tears? He's uh, thinking about Wookiees some- right now. It was something about Andalou, but anyways, it was like a very early surreal movie with Salvador Dali, and in that it had the same sort of thing as like one year later was like a time card, but then like nothing, it was like the next day and it was very disorienting. It was like three years earlier and like it was the exact same situation. So I think that's kind of what Kubrick's doing a little bit to Charlie's point is exactly tuesday is what thursday is what is it doesn't do any sort of grounding reference like these time cards are meant to do okay yeah i like it especially coupled with the weather later because there's one i'm remembering that says 4 p.m and it looks like pitch black outside almost just because i think the clouds covering everything up plus everyone's asleep for some reason it's the winter you know how dark it is in the winter at 4 p.m though that's still that's early (laughs) it sets at 4 30 when you hit that that daylight savings ends, you know, you, you 4:30? go 30. Yeah. Like four 30. It fucking sucks. Why do you think so many people get depressed? My point stands. <laughs> it does. 
You act like you've never been affected by seasonal affective disorder. Not this guy. I got two thumbs. You do. <laughs> you do have two thumbs. Congratulations. Thank you. Good thumbs. Don't move on. Don't say good thumbs. What's next? So after that one month later, I put, I love these scenes of like Wendy. She's delivering food while you get seen. The, like the first scenes of Danny riding his tricycle through the hotel and like the camera work, the tracking shots behind him and the sound on the tricycle scenes are exquisite because it keeps you in the action without knowing if anything's oh. around the corner with how close the tracking totally. shot is. Mm-hmm. And it, this, oh, sorry, this is an interesting note. This, this scene you're talking about was like used with the steady cam, which had only been in like three or four movies prior to this. And oh, the inventor really? of the steady cam worked, yeah, worked closely with Kubrick on this to develop it even further. So when they're going down, it's a guy like in a wheelchair following with the steady cam and one of the first uses of the steady cam. One of the first uses of a wheelchair, too. Ever. Is that true? We put people in these. They thought after <laughs> instead of a camera. <laughs> um, they always manage with that. <laughs> steady cam. was invented for camera. That's <laughs> they, funny. They always manage with that camera to keep the person in the very center of mm-hmm. the screen too. So yeah, you can't see the periphery. So each corner is something new, and you know that eventually that corner is going to come. You just don't know when. It's tense throughout, yeah. And the sound is great because it was like him going over carpet and too. then yeah. hardwood. Even I noticed that. I don't watch movies. The sound? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's perfect. Exactly. Like my cat. Because there, <laughs> there was no like background not noise or anything. It was just that. Is Luna asleep over there? Yeah, she's just chilling. Nice. Yeah. And so all that great stuff. I loved it. Wendy and Jack are talking about how beautiful the place is. And Jack says that he feels that he's been here before when he came for the interview. He was like, this place felt familiar and like home. And I was like, oh, shit. That's a hard deja vu. I think he said yeah. yeah. And then you just get a scene of Jack. Instead of writing, he's just throwing a tennis ball off a wall. This is very funny to me because it's all like high art and very like particular Native American decorations of the wall. And he's just pelting it with the, with the tennis, <laughs> tennis ball. ball. Yeah, that brings in the Native American genocide theme, you know. Mm-hmm. He's deliberately throwing the ball against these Native American sand paintings. I think we could talk about it now. What do you guys think about the Native American aspect of this movie? Did you guys clue in on that? A little bit, yeah. Not a ton, but a little bit. Especially, like, like very on the nose when he's given the, the tour outside. I don't know if I'm stealing a quote right now or not. No, go ahead. But he's like, we're, they had to, they built it in 1907. They had to build it on an Indian burial ground. I think yeah, they even had to stave off a few Indian invasions during the building. Like, that was pretty on the nose. And then, yeah, all the decorations, him throwing a ball at, we, I don't know how significant it is. And he doesn't either, but he doesn't care, which is kind of the point as well. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a little bit clued into it. You just get distracted by all the ghosts and haunting and shit. The vampires. And the vampires. And there's the part where... Or the aspect of how all of this Native American like culture is basically just manipulated for art, you know, which is very vapid art in this in this Colorado hotel, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah. just there for the consumption of the of these rich people, the only people who can afford to stay in this hotel to begin with. Yeah, and then Jack Trickle said it just pelted it all with the tennis ball. Pelting, nice. There's a whole good word reading of this movie that is native of like Native American sensitive. Mm. I don't know. That's one of the aspects of like Room Two Thirty Seven. I think mm-hmm. right, the little documentary that came out about this movie, about all the fan theories and everything. 
I might have to check that out. That sounds awesome. Ignore all the stuff about the moon landing. That's all bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. I remembered, this is a totally off tangent, but when we were growing up, like every Friday, me or my sister, my mom, my stepdad got to pick a movie watching our house. And when I was like 11 and thought I was super smart, I played this movie called Zeitgeist, which ended up being like a 9-11 truther movie. (laughs) And my parents like had to sit through it. Yeah, my parents had to sit. I mostly liked it because it was this big atheist thing. And I was like, oh, I'm such a smart atheist. And then there was this whole section about 9-11 being faked by George Bush. And I was like, "Uh, ignore this part, I guess. I remember there was once Seth and I made my family watch Jesus Camp, the documentary. Mm, We did. Which is a a harsh telling about the the dangers and like cult activity of evangelical Christians at like a summer camp. And it, it it hurts to watch, but we were like we we were like seventeen, like yeah. look how woke this fucking is. We I remember that was also the first night that um mm-hmm. I think I ever like swore in front of your parents because we were playing this board game where you write down answers to things. No, that was a different night. That was a different you came night. Over, I that thought that was the same of... thing. I thought we were playing board games, and then put a movie on because your dad went to bed or something. No, 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 no. Because that was the game of nasty things. Yeah, and that was New Year's Eve. You came over because you had nothing right. to do. I said nasty things. <laughs> the question was like, what's the what's, what's the worst part about being a celebrity? <laughs> and for some, the first thing that popped in my head was, oh, washing the cum out of your hair. Wow. <laughs> so I wrote, that, wrote down that down for my pa- for my for mom to read on a card. <laughs> And she was like, who the, who the fuck were washing the cum out of your hair? Things <laughs> changed after that day. <laughs> for the better. Yeah, oh, for sure. All right, well. um, After the tennis ball, Wendy's chasing Jack through the hedge maze, and the music starts to pick up. These tracking shots keep getting me as they're, like, running through the hedge maze. You're following, because, like, once again, in the hotel room on the trike, or them in the hedge maze, you don't know what's around the corner. You yeah. don't know the layout of these things. This one, I had a a, a note slash thought about the camera work on that because it's it's like front facing and it's back like walking back while they're walking towards the yes. camera. It seemed like the camera was outrunning them. I don't know if that mm. was to build suspense or to like kind of foreshadow that there's a chase scene like in this specific Ooh. area because there is. Yeah, the I noticed that in too. The, yeah, there's another spot in the hotel. They do that same kind of camera yeah. outrunning the characters. I just don't see that anywhere. I thought it was cool, and I figured you guys would know more about it being like actual film buffs and. So I'm a guy. I'm not just like a guy. <laughs> I mean, you're you're a film buff now at this point, Seth. It's like episode 20 for you. Yeah, but like relative to you guys, I've seen like maybe 40 movies. I mean, you also have very sincere criticism for how few movies you've watched. You know what yeah. I mean? Well, I'm not. It also like... sounds like you're observing a lot, and that's exactly. more important. Like anybody can anybody can use highfalutin words to <laughs> inflate their ego. Yeah, but I do people that too. who are really paying attention, they observe it and they say it. I appreciate that. I mean, I, I still am just a guy, but I'm not a dumb guy. <laughs> I, when you said I appreciate that, I was hoping you were just gonna be like, "No, I really do appreciate it." Because that preach, was like man. A, an honest, ob- like, I don't know. I do appreciate not soup soup preach, man. It. Take that to the heart, <laughs> Son of a bitch. Well, after all this chasing in the hedge maze, all these tracking shots, Jack is looking at a diorama of the hedge maze, like a big model of it. And as he looks down into the hedge maze, you get like a slowly zooming in aerial shot of the maze with Danny and Wendy in the middle of it. Like it goes into their perspective. Just first off, like absurdly cool to see. So cool. So cool. 
Yeah. And we, we don't know how they did it still. It's got to be like a camera being lowered from some sort of massive crane or something or a helicopter. I don't know. It's perfectly smooth the whole way. So I don't know drones in 1980. Yeah. Um, but after that, Tuesday. Title card, Tuesday. Who, what the fuck is Tuesday? My favorite title card. Ruby Tuesdays. They're at Ruby Tuesdays. And I want to sign in like a basement that just says Tuesday. One of those neon ones. And this font. Yeah. And the font, yeah. What do you guys think about the font of this movie? It was like the most bare bones font. Pure black and white. Yep. That is, was it the same font in the opening credits? <laughs> Except so. it was blue in the opening credits. That was the thing that threw me off. It was like a teal. Like it was so jarring against the colorado natural skyline and background and environment and then it's just like here's the most unnatural color you'll ever see like a turquoise like you don't see it in nature you can't make anything out of it fuck you chartreuse here we go <laughs> yeah it was, it was very strange well oh lucas uh, is gone dead i tried to move it up out. um well Tuesday, Wendy's making food while a newscast talks about an incoming snowstorm and a 24-year-old woman missing for 10 days after a hunting trip with her husband. Oh? Just like the plot of Home Improvement. (laughs) (laughs) Tim Allen murdered his wife in that show. (laughs) Jack Nicholson style. (laughs) Well... There's they kind of had, on. I mean, it's silly, but they kind of had a similar sort of demeanor. We talked yes. about that a little bit, how it, Nicholson, especially as he goes more crazy, has like a leave it to beaver dad sort of, honey, I'm home sort of caricature, which is kind of what Tim Allen does at Home Improvement. Honey, I'm home. Yeah. The sort of like goofy, affable workman. Here's Johnny feels like a honey, I'm home in a kind of sinister well, turns, way. Totally. Isn't that a Johnny Carson thing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But okay. I think Jack is trying to present himself as this, like, every man, but a lot smarter than everybody else. But on the other hand, that facade slips a lot. Wait, do you think he's mm-hmm. smart? Do you think he thinks he's smarter than everybody else? I don't think anybody yeah, that man, watched he's a writer. picked up on that. I'm a writer. I'm going to this hotel in Colorado to write. <laughs> I'm going to reach know? my Zen place and write the next Yeah, and I'm going to take my wife and my yeah. kid with me. Yeah. Step off your fucking high horse. I'm in this room and you hear you're an en- You're an English teacher, Lucas. Yeah, like me? No, I was saying like Jack is, but you know what it's like oh, to be I called see. an English yeah, teacher. Hmm. I did slash that kid's tires. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Mediocre people are always trying to make themselves bigger than oh. what they actually are. Whoa, hold they- on there. <laughs> Seth puffs out his chest a little bit. Hey. I can see Sam Puppet puffing out his chest. I was trying to straighten on my shoulders. Sit, sit those back a little bit. Huh? No, this is just me sitting up straight for the first time. You're so buff. Wow. No, this is bones. <laughs> These are D.B. Cooper's got, bones under my shirt. You got, I got D.B. Cooper's bones in this bag. Anyway, um, after that like newscast, you get a quick cut to more tricycle action in the hotel. This time with a bit of score behind it. And the camera, like I said, always has... Danny in the center of the focus with kind of an upward angle for lots of death, and he stops on his trike when he reaches room 237, and he just stares at the room as the music intensifies, slowly walks towards the door, turns the handle, but the door doesn't open, when the twin girls pop on the screen for like a quarter second, it was just like, yeah, it's amazing. It was the fastest, it was the fastest one, it was like, like you said, Charlie, I was like, did I actually see that? Like, I rewound it, I was like, yeah, I did see it. They were there. 
Mm-hmm. One of the things that Kubrick did was he researched subliminal messaging in mm. advertising and applied Ooh. a lot of those techniques to The Shining to give it that under the skin creepy feeling. Yeah. He saw one too many Hardy's thick burger commercials like <laughs> I need to use that quick shot of the girl in the bikini I to gotta find out why I'm addicted to Hardy's burgers. <laughs> and now back to Fight Club, you know, putting single frames of porno yeah. into kids movies. <laughs> yeah, exactly. it in there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Well, um, good job. I want to do that. Jack, after that little cut, Jack's in the main hall, writing diligently on his typewriter. Wendy enters, the music rises, until he pulls his paper off and he greets her. Just totally normal. It was like he was just focused on the thing, but he's very upset that Wendy came to even talk, even though she's offering him sandwiches and shit. Probably because it was a cheese sandwich. Is that what she said? Yeah, <laughs> no, she was referencing. Like, she's like, I'm making you sandwiches, but okay. he was like, I'm fucking tired of sandwiches, you bitch. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah, why I kept feeding him cheese sandwiches. <laughs> that, that was not scripted. He just he just flipped shit at, at Shelly Duvall. Are we rolling, cameraman? Jack Nicholson's actually lost it. Well, we had a thing where he's and like, he if you hear it. that I'm if you hear I'm typing, I'm fucking working. If you hear don't if you hear me not typing, then I'm fucking working. So don't fucking come in here. And apparently, that was born out of Jack Nicholson's real life because he was a screenwriter before this movie, like trying to write for his own roles, and his girlfriend would come in and he'd freak out. And he's like, I can put this in the movie, and maybe I should like work on myself too. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna up, finish up the screen, I if, and then I'm gonna go to therapy. <laughs> I was wondering if he didn't have that second thought. He was just like really abusive emotionally towards every significant I, other he's I, had. I and he's like, oh him. man, he, okay. I could, I, you don't know. He's like, I can make a movie out of this, but you don't know for sure if he ever worked on himself. He still sits courtside at Lakers games. Maybe he did like a normal, loving husband. <laughs> Just a guy. He's just a guy. He's kind of like you. But he's a Lakers fan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a demerit. So is he just a which, guy? Which is cringe. He doesn't sound like a supportive spouse to me. <laughs> Any Lakers fan is cringe AF. <laughs> Fail army up in here. Lake show. <laughs> well, um, he With makes Johnny this. Carson. He makes this rule. Like he's, he's like, I'm going to have to start writing all over. He's like, get the fuck out of here. He makes a rule to never come in if he's in there. Whether he's writing or not, even if he's just throwing a tennis ball off the fucking artwork, do not come in here if I'm what in here. What a bastard. Yeah. Thursday. Thursday. Thurs- Thursday was my fucking favorite day. Because as Danny and Wendy playing in the middle of like a blizzard, you cut to Jack standing, staring out the window with like this glazed look and this yeah, sinister smile. stare. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. He's just like looking out the window. Saturday, that was it. That was Thursday, the entirety that, of the day. Well, and like two other days that <laughs> yeah, encompasses yeah. until Saturday. What the fuck <laughs> happened all Thursday and all Friday? He just stared out the window. Great. That's why. That's what I think. Like we didn't need a title card for that at all. Yeah. After yelling at his wife, clearly the cheese has fallen off of his cracker. <laughs> yeah. The cheese has fallen off of his sandwich. <laughs> He's only yeah. eating. Bread not now. not playing with a full bag of Jacks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh my there. god. Yeah. Well. Jack Jacks. <laughs> Jack Facts. <laughs> what are you going to say? I couldn't remember the name of the old one where you bounce the ball and you pick up the Jacks. It's just called Jacks. It's just called Jacks. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Is that what you guys were saying? <laughs> Buy me some Not peanuts. with a full bag of Jacks. Oh. Buy me I, some peanuts and cracker Jacks. Full bag of Jacks. I was thinking of That's some old East some Coast reason. talk, you know? That makes more sense. I thought you meant cards, but you don't put cards in bags. Did you say so East just... Coast talk? Yeah, it's East Coast talk. I didn't hear you say, is a fucking wicked storm coming. Mm. So it's clearly hey. not Eastern Yo, talk. Yo, did I say yeah. I was from Boston? Do you hear me dropping my eyes here? 
park the car at the Harvard Yard. <laughs> the flowers in the floor. <laughs> the mossy masturbators. We can't keep. We have to stop the Jay Z bit. We have to stop the Jay Z bit. We're going to get prosecuted. It's funny because we're going to jail. It's funny because he's going to jail tonight. It's funny because I forgot. I was literally going to send you guys a Snapchat video this morning, but I forgot. That was just going to be me going, the flowers in the floor. And I knew you two would lose your mind and Devin wouldn't answer. But in his mind, he would have been like, what the fuck did he just say? Lose our mind for different reasons. What about Jack? <laughs> He's losing his mind. He is. So it's Saturday. <laughs> Jack's still typing away as Wendy uses the phone board to try and see if the phone lines are down, which they are. But she is able to contact Forest Service with a, like a ham radio. And they tell her that the phone lines are all down, may not be fixed until spring, as this is one of the worst storms to date. But why did he recommend she leave her radio on all the time just in case? This because that's the, the only communication too? that she's got. With the outside world. And you can yeah. tell how desperate Wendy is to have communication with another human being besides her abusive and psychotic husband and her slightly disturbed son. Mm-hmm. There was like a almost a flirty nature over like the yep. phone between the two. And that just the warmth that her husband will not get anymore because every moment he like bats her away. She unbuttons or like one button of son. her blouse yeah. over the radio. Well also it's just out. You don't know when there's going to be an emergency. You should always have your radio on. Like it's like it's like asking why do you always have your landline plugged in? Like yeah. do you always need to receive a phone call? <laughs> yes. Yeah. There are emergencies. I was just like my mind immediately was like, does he have the shine? Does he have the shine? No, he would have been there, or not? Who knows? Yeah. Maybe he doesn't give a fuck. That's true. Scat. Yeah. <laughs> he he has a new new book. You have the shine, but you just don't give a fuck. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you don't just use it for good or evil. <laughs> you're like you're cool, just a these, guy with it. These, yeah, you're just a guy. Nice. <laughs> people are about to die. I'll stay away from that. The future's about to be real weird. <laughs> oh oh shit, Jinjo! What an appearance. Try to scratch the hell out of me. It is my fault. Anyways, yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, he recommends she keeps that on all the time. Danny's triking again. The music's just going. Tracking shot following him. And then he rounds a corner. Twin girls stand in the middle of the hallway. This is the moment where you didn't. Oh, Jinjo Tail walked across Charlie's screen too. Uh, twin girls stand in the hallway, telling him to come and play with them. This is probably like the most parodied aspect uh-huh. of The Shining. I think the twin girls have been in like a dozen horror movies since. Come then. play with us, yeah, yeah. Or like girls like singing, like yeah. Exactly. But, like, as they say, like, come play with us forever and ever and ever or whatever, in between those evers, there continues to be quick cuts of their, like, chopped up dead bloody bodies in the hallway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I told that to Charlie last night, too. This is where, like, a normal horror movie would show these, like, cool, gory shots in their full detail, so the audience is truly shocked, but we're still getting the flashes, because the psychotic horror is more important than the gory horror. Yeah, it's the difference between terror and horror. You know, mm-hmm. oh. terror is anticipation. Horror is what you see. Mm. So I like terror movies. Yeah, that. I like terror over horror too. If terror, I, I hardly know her. I've always, I've, I was always looking for a word to separate the two. So a lot of scary movies are just really boring. 
<laughs> yeah. you, you did mention you like psychological thrillers, you said. Yeah. Which uh, but, Shining definitely kind of fits into that category. Like saying like I like terror movies makes me sound like less of a pompous ass. <laughs> So I'm going to do that instead. <laughs> instead of just like a guy. Mm-hmm. Hey. That's what I watch horror Don't cinema. Spit. Yeah. All in favor of not sounding out. like a pompous ass. <laughs> Say aye. 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 <laughs> you fucking pompous ass. Well, yeah, you get them. And um, stand in the hallway. He covers his eyes. When he opens them, they're gone. And he tells Tony. He's like, I'm scared. Tony reminds me. He's like, listen to what Dick said. It isn't real. It's like a book. Monday. We're on the Good next weekend. day. Just another manic Monday. I'm gonna run <laughs> Good to the bathroom weekend. Real quick. Good weekend. You guys keep going. Yep. What the hell? <laughs> Is he being xenomorph? What's I'm, happening? He's morbid. Uh, he's just going to the bathroom. Uh, I'm Monday. To, I'm gonna have to edit so much of that out. Um, Monday. Danny and Wendy are watching TV. He wants his fire truck from their room. She says no because Jack's asleep. She shouldn't. He shouldn't be woken. But Danny pleads and gets the okay as long as he's silent. And he gets into the room. Jack is just awake, sitting erect back, fully yep. erect on the edge of the bed, looking out the window with a glazed look over his face. And I put there was a great camera's perspective when Danny comes in because you go the over-the-shoulder shot of Jack here, but you can see, you can't see his facial expressions except in a mirror in the corner. You can see how he reacts to Danny's things with a sinister smile on his face. You know what's really cool about that shot? It's gonna get mirrored when you get to room 237 the way that the the Torrance's bedroom is laid out and room yeah. 237 is laid out it's almost exactly the same where the where the bathroom is on the far right side and so the far left you're tracking through it like it's familiar and yet everything is different interesting yeah. i i like that same camera shot for kind of a different reason because at first like when it first cuts to the over shoulder shot like that oh my gosh she's just laying down I, I thought for a split second there was a third person in the room. Like, mm. it was the two of them looking at each other, and then that that cool. reflection, yeah, it looks like another, which, I, I don't know, could be alluding, depending on how you interpret on the court. movie. Well, yeah, after that, cool. Jack calls Danny over, Dan- hugging Danny like crazy. Danny's asking him if he's feeling bad, and if he likes the hotel, and if he's like, he can sense something. Danny even asked him if he would ever hurt him and his mother. And Jack is appalled by that statement. He says he would never hurt them you can also see just how palpably uncomfortable danny is with his father yep he's i think this this is the most like horrifying scene of the whole movie because he's limp as a a fish you know he's clearly repulsed by his dad touching him and i think this highlights what exactly was going on before they got to the hotel well and like any normal child probably wouldn't have that but him having the shine Knowing the future, seeing his past all at once. I don't even think this is shine related. I think this he is got his, his arm ripped out by his dad. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. It's almost like he's unnecessarily formal the whole conversation too. It's all yes, yes dad, dad, no dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas with his mom, he's got a lot more liberties to kind of like be a kid and say what he wants to. Yeah, he's scared shitless of his abusive father. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, and I, I don't know. There are some implications in this here that it the, the abuse even goes past like the physical, you know, just the shoulder thing with how he's oh, like grabbing him and bringing him close. It's emotional it's, and traumatizing. Yeah, and, like sexual. It's gross. 
Yeah, I know what you're saying. Hugging him, like, petting his head almost. Yep. Totally. Well, it's Wednesday now. Jack's playing with toy cars by the elevators. I really liked this, like, hexagonal carpet that he's tracking the the cars on, like, playing them on. I don't know. It's set kind of a format for the screen itself. Hmm. Is this the iconic carpet? The Like, the orange-ish one? Yeah. The most iconic carpet. In a the ball, carpet. The di- yeah, mm-hmm. a ball rolls up to him, but from the direction it came, there's nobody down that hallway from where it came. And he walks down the hall to see. He's like calling for his mom, and he sees room two thirty seven's door open and a key in the door. And uh, you fade to Wendy in a boiler room, checking temp levels, and she flips a voltage switch. Because she's invite- the only one that yeah, she's doing his job. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah, she's, she's keeping that place up. Artifacts. <laughs> And as she flips one of the boiler switches to get the voltage going, scream in the distance. I really liked that. And you wonder who it is, too, because it's not Danny, right? Can't be Danny. Yeah. It's a man. Yeah, can't be Danny when he just walked into room 237 that's clearly haunted, but she flips the switch, runs out. It's Jack. Why are you laughing? (laughs) <laughs> no, you're saying it's clearly haunted. Why is he going in there? Couldn't be him. Like you're mad that he made the decision to go in there. Well, of course, and I'm like mad. being passive aggressive towards a child in a movie. It's just funny to me. <laughs> Stupid ass. Couldn't be his dumb ass, could it? We all hate that guy, right, guys? We all hate Danny. Yeah, he's just a guy, but I hate him. <laughs> that's why. That's why I was laughing because that whole entire thought that I explained ran through my head within like one second. second. That whole yeah conversation. Yeah. So, well, not the, yeah. Well, she hears the scream. She runs out. It kind of sounded like it was, like, not an actual scream in a way. It was just there. But she runs out mm. to see that it is Jack screaming, having, like, a nightmare, sitting at his typewriter. This is a, a very, like, important part of the movie. I have a quick, sad, kind of funny, sad story. Side story, not sad story, sorry. Um, when I but took also kind of funny. It's kind of funny. When I took my SATs, the first time I took them, it was like 8 in the morning, and there was a kid in my class who fell asleep during the test, so obviously he's not going to do all that good. He wasn't the smartest student or whatever. And he woke up with a minute left in the that round of testing screaming because he had a nightmare while we're all taking the SATs. So we're sitting there, and he just goes, ah! ah! <laughs> with like a minute left. And, he, and then he had none of, no answers written down. It was a... It was a goofy, yeah. Uh... You gotta give everybody a retake after that, right? <laughs> like, there's no way that doesn't influence jarring. the rest of your testing day. Like, that's the first hour, you got four left to go, and you're like, man, that screaming kid really messed me up. <laughs> you get like I a know, 900. Obviously, you feel bad for the kid who fell asleep and had a nightmare in the test. Do, yeah, do you think the screaming kid gets a retake? I don't feel, yeah, of course he does. If he doesn't get a retake, nobody does. Everybody should get a retake, but I'm still gonna laugh at the kid that fell asleep and had a nightmare in front of 40 people. Like, that's crazy to do. <laughs> It was one of the most surreal things I've ever experienced. And I was like, still had to finish answers. Yeah, it was like one in a million people that could say, "Yeah, I fell asleep in the SAT and screamed because I had a nightmare." <laughs> shout out Billy. I think he he's doing pretty good now. Shout out, good, good for shout him. out Billy. Shout out Rat Boy. <laughs> that was Rat Boy. Um, did you take the SATs when we were at Riverside in middle school? No. Oh, I thought you did with me. I might have. Maybe I just forgot. Hmm. My girlfriend mm. literally dumped me the night before the SATs. It was, it was, <laughs> Ouch. Yeah. And then that I had was, the nightmare kid. 
Same thing for me with the ACTs. So I like bombed those. I think I got like a 28. Yeah. I think I did really well. And you got a 28. I was, motivated. I was like, I'm going to fucking bury her into the ground with my test score. I'll show her. She was sitting right in front of me. She'll take me back the instant she sees my test score. I'll show much smarter than I am. I should have never dumped him. Now that man's going places. He got a 32? The fuck? The fuck? That's a great story. Yeah, now she's in like a Duke Medical School graduate and here I am. She's yeah. overachieving to win you back. Yeah, exactly. That's right. <laughs> That's right. If you had, if you had the shine, you could see, you could see what would happen with her in the future. We'll never know. I mean, she was also a horror movie villain herself too. <laughs> I thought he was going to say a whore. <laughs> yeah, like that doesn't sound no, like something Lucas would say. Because of the reverb, it was like, well, yeah, she's such a horror. I, was, I horror thought you said villain. whore. She's definitely Dr. Kevorkian in, in real life. <laughs> doctor, <laughs> Hence the medical school <laughs> totally, education. Yeah. Was he doing. the serial killer doctor then? Who? Kevorkian, what did he do? He came up with the suicide machine. Ooh. He he made the Suicide Squad movie. <laughs> Close. Whore, a terrible man, terrible man. He's a whore, well, yeah. He was a whore. Well, so she wakes up Jack, who's maniacally screaming in his dream, having a nightmare. She wakes him up. He was dreaming that he killed his family with an axe, just like the 1970 murder in the hotel. And Danny slowly approaches the scene from a different room, shot from his back as he walked towards them. Wendy's saying, like, get the fuck out of here. She didn't actually say, get the fuck out of here, Danny. No, she didn't say that. But like, get out, go to your room and whatnot. Why don't you mind me? As it slowly (laughs) turns to him, you see him like sucking his thumb, like real deep, real hard. Mm-hmm. But also, giant, like, grasping marks on his neck. Yep, his collar's all ripped. He's He's been roughhoused. I think, <laughs> Charlie, you got, a, roughhousing, I think you got an interesting read of this this scene and, like, his coming to out of his nightmare that we talked a little bit about yesterday. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think Jack was lying about what he was dreaming. I, I think th- that he was saying that kind of to scare Wendy into basically reminding her, hey, I could kill you and Danny and nobody would know about it until the spring. I think that he was dreaming about either physically or sexually abusing his son. But he couldn't say that to Wendy, obviously. So he kind of throws the red herring her way and also puts her in her place. That's really good. I agree with it, too, because I also don't think he would just come up and admit, like, hey, I was going to chop you up. I think the only reason he would do that if he's, like Charlie said, he's, like, trying to intimidate her or he's, like, even covering for something worse. You know, he's, like, I don't think he's the kind of guy that will say the lesser of two evils what he's thinking. And abusers know how to manipulate people. Yeah, that's very true. I had a nightmare the other night that I was in divorce court with Marina. She was suing me. Mm. Terrible. I woke up so scared. Was it televised? It sounds like a show. No, it wasn't like Judge Judy. It was just like a literal divorce court. Divorce court sounds like a show. Obviously, but it wasn't. That would be really entertaining. That would be a good dream. Yeah, we should write it. That would be so sad, though. (laughs) Write a sketch about that. Divorce court. It doesn't have to be about YouTube, but like. Divorce court directed by Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, I get (laughs) you. 
I get you. And then I woke up and I didn't have any of my answers filled out. <laughs> <laughs> Having a nightmare about falling asleep during the SAT. <laughs> um, I was I was thinking about like when you were saying like his actual nightmare. I was gonna punk Seth over here and have it be like spiders growing on somebody's back or something. Oh, it you're triggering his tryptophobia, right? Y- yep. Bad. Yeah. Well, moving on. After all that, Wendy looks over at Jack as he stares back, perplexed at her, still unable to talk. She's like, you did this to him. And all he says as he's, like, looking is just like, oh. Like, hmm. Good face. He's doing the Tim Robinson confused face. He's doing the Kubrick stare. <laughs> Not. <laughs> he's doing the Tim Allen home improvement stare. He's, uh, <laughs> He's been a lot of play this episode. Oh, shit. Tim, I don't talk about Tim on. Allen this much ever. I know. Welcome Tim, to the podcast, man. Tim Allen and Star Wars have been the real heroes yeah. of this episode. I, I did what to my son? Uh-huh. <laughs> <After> <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Dislocated his shoulder. Uh-huh. He goes to Goodness. talk to Wilson about it. Yeah. Wilson, so, was that his neighbor's name? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you never saw his chin until maybe the finale or something. I don't know. Wilson's? Yeah. I don't remember that. I didn't he watch enough home Im- I didn't watch Home Improvement enough to like know. He was the coat, uh, dude. You never I don't falls- use that lately. You never fell asleep to Nick at night from midnight to two AM for most of your childhood like I did. Yeah, I usually same. fell asleep to like adult yeah. swim instead. Or if I fell allowed. asleep watching Nick at night, it would be waking up to George Lopez, obviously. I love oh, George Lopez. Lopez. There's, there's a new there's show no... coming out. Lopez what? and Lopez. He's doing a show with Mario Lopez. And Jennifer Lopez. Nope, that's Affleck now. Never mind. Mm-hmm. She can't be a part of it. Well, Jack's groaning, stumbling through the hotel all the way to the gold room after being accused of choking out his son. And this screeching music... Uh, I put this screeching. Why did I put this in my notes? The screeching music has got to stop. I'm going to shit myself. Mm. That's my literal, my literal note there at the very top. Oh, yeah. It's his literal note. (laughs) But he makes his way into the gold room, seated at the bar looking for a drink, but all the alcohol's gone because, you know, like, like Mr. Ullman said, like they take it all away so you don't drink yourself crazy and he rubs his eyes when he opens them back up lloyd the bartender standing there with a bunch of alcohol behind him he even knows jack by name and he has that big like hail fellow well-met smile on his face and right before he says like i'd sell my soul for a glass of beer yeah and then all the beer appears not the the liquor Yeah. yeah he's he's sober but it all appears and uh so i mean that's like I didn't consider it until this morning, but that, like, he did he sell his soul right there? I mean, that's un- one of the implications, right? Is he sold his soul for liquor, and now he's in control of, his soul's in control of the house, the hotel. Not, his, his soul is not controlled by the Senate, but by the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. And there is definitely something devilish and demonic, that red jacket that Lloyd has, and that kind of, like, very calm, but kind of sinister look that he's got on his face there's definitely some devil vibes there jumping forward Mm -hmm. a little bit but the bathroom the bathroom as well all that is like devil vibe yeah (laughs) the target bathroom yeah (laughs) 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 that's like what bathroom what 
I was just thinking about, I haven't been to Target in like 10 years. <laughs> I haven't been to the bathroom in a long time. <laughs> yeah, even longer, actually. <laughs> well, um, Jack's just drinking away some bourbon, talking to Lloyd, saying, things could be better, you know, he's telling Lloyd all about how he would never hurt Danny ever, but it is a different story for Wendy. I was like, the fuck? Doesn't care. And then he, he does admit her, to yeah. Lloyd. Yeah. He does admit to Lloyd that he did hurt Danny once, but it was all an accident, you know. He didn't mean to. He can't even convince himself with any sort of that it was an accident. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he puts on such a. This is like his most acting. He's like, of course I wouldn't hurt him. Like that's when he has to go the hardest to convince himself. And you notice that he only. Oh, sorry. That's it. You notice that he refers to Wendy as the sperm bank. So you (laughs) know, if you want to know how high his wife is ranking up there, just look at that. That is a crazy thing. After all this, Wendy screams, comes looking for Jack, carrying a bat. She says, they're not alone in the hotel, and a crazy woman is in one of the rooms and tried to strangle Danny. Danny told her all this. So you cut to Dick, sitting in a room in Miami, watching a weather report, surrounded by portraits of topless women. When his eyes widen, a screeching sound appears, a heartbeat kind of tone appears. And he starts to, like, shake, almost like a seizure kind of shake. It looks like his eyes gray a little bit as well. They gray? Well, I don't know yeah. if gray or just lose their color, or if that's the same thing. But they, they do seem to change. Hmm. This, this is a crash zoom too, right? It's an, it is another crash zoom. I don't know if this was a crash zoom or just an it's edit a to zoom. a close-up. And, mm. well, you see him start to shake when it cuts to room, a scene of room 237. And then to Danny's shaking nearly foaming out of the mouth as well. They're sharing this kind of... It's a shine. Moment? Yeah. One shining moment. <laughs> <One> sh- <laughs> the end of March Madness. They're a Cinderella story. They're gonna win it all. <laughs> Danny and Dick taking, taking UMBC all the way. Nice. Well, you cut to a scene of room 237. Oh, wait. Now they're panning through room 237, which is kind of what you talked about, Charlie, where it's all mirrored from their room itself. And you're moving through it. It's very green in the room. Yeah, green and purple, which is a weird color combination. Green and purple. Are those They're like vomitous. Yep. Those are not contrasting colors. I don't know. No. Hmm. Green and purple. Weird. Very weird. Purple, purple is royalty, usually. There's like a hot riches. chick in there. <laughs> There's a real hot chick in there. She's like 6'3". You... Yeah, got the <laughs> longest legs I've ever seen. It, it, it's funny because that's that's literally my note is that <laughs> we're panning through. It's Jack's hand. He pushes open the bathroom, enters to see a naked lady behind the curtain. She gets out of the tub and approaches. And one of my notes is, she fucking tall as shit. She, tall she, as shit. she, should hoop she was so tall. She just looked <laughs> normal size to me. That's because you're six four. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. The normal size woman emerges like... from the tub with Seth snowed. <laughs> <laughs> My notes: She's fucking tall as shit. So like, <laughs> typical woman. Yeah, typical I have four woman. quotes, and then just a normal size woman emerges from the tub. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and then That's good. And then I can't Jack... wait for when we watch even dwarfs started small. Seth's notes are going to be, with this person, super short. Super small. And no clue. And Bran will say a normal <laughs> a normal amount of people. <laughs> yeah. And normal size. A normal size person just walked into the... <laughs> That's a terrible <laughs> joke. That's so terrible. 
I'm short, guys. What about it? Mm-hmm. What about it? Anyway. Um, she gets out of the tub. As Jack approaches her, she rubs his body all the way up to his neck. Then they make out, and as the camera cuts away, they continue to kiss. But as he opens his eyes, it's now an old woman with, like, infected sores all over her body. Mm-hmm. would drown in the tub. She, like, cackle laughs at him and slowly walks after him She's while he... Hag. <laughs> she is. And and all this happens while we still see Danny, like, choking, foaming at the mouth, which means we can infer that Dick is doing the same thing. They're sharing the shine. They're shrine, shrining. Sh- shrining. They are shrining. And at the end of the scene, you see Jack Shibuya. running out, locking the door behind him. Mm-hmm. So he's suppressing whatever memories are coming up. It's my pet theory that that's a dream sequence. And he is reliving the uh, the physical or sexual abuse of his own son through his son's eyes. So once he sees it, he's suppressing it. And then he does like run out, and he's like, "Yeah, nothing's in there. Nobody's yep. here." Yeah, it goes and yeah. lies to his Wendy, wife about Wendy it. Con- when he confronts him, like, "What did you see? Nothing." He says he's seen nothing, and uh, Jack is telling Wendy that he thinks Danny did this to himself. Like the instant before he came up here, he's like. You know, there's something wrong with Danny. He's self-afflicting harm to himself and whatnot. But Danny is lying in bed. They think he's asleep. Mouth agape as he looks at writing on his door saying red rum and a flash of those elevators again opening up with so much blood gushing out. And Wendy's like, you know what? We got to leave. We need to get Danny help. This, the red rum thing, that was the my first ever interaction with anything in the shining because someone wrote that in our bathroom when i was in like a third grader at montessori so even like i thought it was like weird and creepy even them and it was obviously a shining reference even montessori is afflicted even third graders were getting (laughs) like shining blown at them at school i thought it was just a south side thing that's i was thinking the same thing when i when i watched it the first time because i was familiar with the red rum thing since probably second or third grade i didn't realize Mm. it was from I figured it was from something, but not like maybe one of the greatest <laughs> movies. Movie. Movies. Oh, we're getting insight into your score. Well, I mean, just as a classic, I guess. Greatest director probably makes some of the greatest movies, right? One would think. A bold claim. Yeah. We'll oh, never know. Is that a bold claim? <laughs> Until later. We'll see. But yeah, he thinks Danny did this all to himself, like the incident before, the red rum. Wendy wants to leave, and Jack livid about the idea of them leaving. He's like, I got this big break to make it in the writing world. We're not fucking leaving. He storms out of the room, stomps through the hotel, basically, um, and hears distant music. There are balloons and party things set up everywhere, too. And then you see Dick. He's calling for a service to check in on the Torrance family because he's worried about Danny. And um, you see, finally, Jack makes it to the gold room where there's like this formal, almost like 1920s party going on. You got jazz music in the background. You got all the formal attire. Lloyd's still bartending. He's he's tending bar. He said his money's no good here. Yeah, it isn't. Which, as Charlie pointed out to me last night, if it's like the 1920s as this party is appearing, his money would literally be no good because they were on the gold standard. Mm, that's why it's the gold room. I thought it was the cold room. Yep. I think there's a guy, his name is Rob Aber. He has a YouTube channel called uh, Collative of Learning. 
And he has a whole like big spiel about the gold room and all the symbolism mm-hmm. behind it. Damn. Good good job, that Brandon. Awesome. Thank you. Well, he orders a drink, yeah, money's no good, and he gets stuff spilt on him, and he heads into the bathroom, and the bathroom is the target bathroom, it's so red. And um the butler that is tending to him, cleaning his jackets, named Delbert Grady, similar to the name Charles Grady, who is the man that killed his whole family here. And Jack confronts him about his actions, saying, you're the guy that killed him. But Grady's like, that's not true. And Jack's like, yeah, you were. And Grady's like, no, you've always been the caretaker here. I was never a caretaker. And he's like, I know that you are the caretaker because I've been here all along with you. And then he does say I had to correct my family, too. So he admits it. It's he's a very odd character. And in the space of like two minutes, he says he's never been the caretaker. He's always been the caretaker. And I've never hurt my family. And I corrected my family. And you've always been here, too. There's something cool there where like he denies it three times the same way that St. Peter denied knowing Mm. Jesus three times. And then he asserts it three times, like, yeah, I've always been here. And yes, I corrected my daughters. <laughs> I love how he says that. Yeah. Every part of this scene, just top tier, horrifying. It's amazing. I wish I could have made connections to the Bible, but I know literally nothing about <laughs> religion. So I was As like, you yeah, to- yeah, Maybe not. yeah, totally, Charlie. That totally makes sense. I, as as Lucas I think, over here is trying to be an atheist hero to his family when he was 11. <laughs> I think we're all for atheists or non-religious at the very least. Right, Brandon? I'm agnostic. Right, what do you say right? officially? What is your... <laughs> you don't have to say if you don't want to. I guess it's kind of intrusive. Oh, I just... I don't like to do labels or... He's just a like guy. That. Yeah. You're just hooking up. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> You're just hooking up. You don't like labels. I'm just hooking, yeah, me and God are just hooking up. I don't know if it's real fine. or not. <laughs> Who is the better? He's hookup? trying to get real with me, and Who's I don't the better want to commit to a religion. God, so. Buddha, or LeBron, <laughs> or LeBron. Yeah, I don't really believe in anything, but I don't disbelieve in anything. So, like Brandon said, I am just a guy. I don't care either way. There's good. Wise there's words, evil. Who man. gives a shit? Why? So now that we finished religion talk, should we pause? Yeah. yeah, we should pause for a sec. Okay. <laughs> and we're back! We're vampires. We're not vampires. Um, so we're in the bathroom, all that. Grady warns Jack that Danny's trying to bring an outside party to the hotel. And that person is Dick. I won't say what they actually said, because it got real racy there for a minute. Yeah, it did. It did. Yeah, it did. I mean, it is important to note that it's just... I don't know... There's like, like a dawning realization that he can be racist, that Jack can. He like gets glee out of that. He's like, "Oh, the N word, yes." I love the guy says it. Still on the like, table for you, Seth. Thank you. Which just shows like the levels of his scumbaggery. You know, he's <laughs> looking for anything to demean anybody else. And at the same time, you're in this hoity-toity hotel where only rich people are. And I don't know. What do you guys want to bet that? Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos are into the uh, occasional casual raci- racism as well. Yeah, totally. Bezos? Just the institution of the... <laughs> yeah. Zuckerberg? Yeah. No way. No, my heroes? <laughs> my heroes. Queen Elizabeth was my racist? No. <laughs> <laughs> of course she was racist. She was born in like 1830. Um, <laughs> but Grady's telling Jack all about how his wife has tried to interfere in things, and so he took corrective action before. 
And he says, you know what, you gotta do it too. So Wendy's freaking out, trying to find a way out of here. When Danny starts screaming in a odd voice, it's a it's a Tony voice, but not it's more exaggerated. That a red rum. Hmm. You well, love you the echo it. on that. It, it, yeah. yeah, it's 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 like increasingly frantic. Yeah, Tony has basically taken over Danny's body at this point, and yeah. Jack just disabled movie. all the radio <laughs> movie disabled all the radio lines for the Overlook Hotel, and we get another title card. 8 a.m. Oh, I think I missed a lot of what you said, but no worries. 8 a.m. 8 a.m. And so, Dick is on a plane towards Denver to go and rescue Danny through the blizzard. And Wendy's walking to find Jack and comes across his workstation without Jack there. So she takes a peek at his <laughs> script. I was like a real classic Lucas moment here. When she's walking up to and she's not there, I really wanted her to pan up, the camera to pan up and have Jack being on the ceiling like a spider or a bat. <laughs> <laughs> and have it turn into that horror movie. Certified Lucas literally classic. Morbius. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He that's literally what, morbed in front scene. of her. But <laughs> <laughs> he wasn't on the ceiling like a bat. No. That's just all modern horror now. Yeah. If, if this was hereditary, that's how it would have happened. Mm-hmm. That scene in Hereditary fucking scares me when the room's so black and you just see a shadow of her in the corner on the wall. I I do remember watching that in theaters and like not seeing her actually, and everyone like I was there with six other people doing a Hereditary viewing. I guess I don't know why. <laughs> and then you did a podcast about it. Uh, yeah, um, but they were like they're all gasping next to me, and I there's to me it's just like a teenage boy sleeping in a just dark a guy. room, and I was like, what's going on? <laughs> My buddy Evan leans over, he's like, look at look on the ceiling. Um, it, it's really dark the whole time I was like Nat Wolf turn the fuck around <laughs> on the goddamn ceiling spoilers if you haven't seen Hereditary <laughs> I say spoilers after we <laughs> talk about all of that it's Nicole Kidman <laughs> <laughs> turn around as Nicole Kidman exactly. well um, the work is not what she expected it to be it's a hundred pages of just all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy which you told us was actually typed out Mm-hmm. That's dedication. It's, and it's like, it's a shitty joke, even. <laughs> it's, I don't know, it's, it's just a repeat of, like, some sort of very shitty baseline. A very dumb cliche. Yeah, exactly. And, again, Jack is just a mediocre person, so it fits that he's got a mediocre joke. Yeah. Well, Jack sneaks up behind her, slowly walks towards her, as Danny envisions the blood elevators and the red rum more, and Jack yells at Wendy about her concerns for Danny and not him, his own self. He's like, you always care for Danny and not me. And he just slowly moves towards her more and more. And my note is, that's not how you hold a bat, Wendy. She's choking up too high on it. Yeah, she's never going to hit a dinger. <laughs> that's what she was wanting. The whole time she was at Outlook Hotel was to hit mm-hmm. one dinger. And she does get it. <laughs> Because he moves in on her. She fucking domes his ass. <laughs> Dumb. Yep. 360 no-scopes him. Drops, 360 <laughs> no-scopes him. Drops him drops down the Jack. stairs. <laughs> and um, he falls. He's knocked out. And um, she fucking locks him in the pantry while he's knocked out. And he wakes up and is screaming for Wendy to let him out of the pantry. And he tells her, he's like, Oh, if you're not going to let me out, you should go check the surprise I left for you in the garage. Because, yeah, the only way out of this 
snowbound hotel is over this sort of snowmobile thing that he pulled all the plugs out of as she runs to go find. And he he also dis disabled the two way radio with the forest service, so no way to communicate. Mm-hmm. If only Ooh. somebody had like a telepathic communication. If only it, it was interesting that he knew exactly how to take apart the radio too. He was like, mm-hmm. it, it will be this one. Yeah. Good he, job. He took out three separate, I assume, battery packs or whatever they were. But I'd, it's not like hinted at that he knows how CV radio works or whatever kind of radio well, it is. He's not, I don't think, a very, like, a mechanically oriented guy. So the fact no. that he's able to pull out all these, like, car plugs and everything that he needs to, it kind of speaks that the hotel is acting through him, maybe. The yeah. hotel's acting through him, or it, it lends to the theory that he has the shine, so he's he knows the past and future, so he's, like, aware of how mm. to do all this stuff if he's reliving previous murders like that. Yeah. I like that. That's going back to, you have the shine, but you don't give a shit. Or <laughs> <laughs> you use it for just pure evil. I'm just a guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, after she locks him, she checks the snowcat one out 4 p.m. That was at eight, eight hours later. Jack's sleeping in the pantry, knocked out, and he hears a knock on the door. It's Grady, on the other hand, t- who tells him, you must, he, like, he must deal with his family in the harshest way to keep things in order. And Jack agrees to it, and the door just clicks. So you're like, oh, fuck, it's unlocked by Grady. That's the, the telling moment, right? Or maybe a telling moment if you're of the interpretation that the house is truly haunted and the ghosts are running about. That is not that just Jack or Danny seeing these premonitions. Yeah, that there is a supernatural force acting upon it. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, on the flip side, you could also interpret it as he found a way to finagle his way out. And that is just attributed yeah. to the ghosts. Or Wendy felt bad and unlocked the door. <laughs> I'm going to... I might disagree with that, but I'm not going to completely disagree. Yeah. Like, you know what? He tried to kill me, but I'm going to unlock the door for him this time. I mean, that would follow, like, the unfortunate pattern of abuse where you have to go back to your abuser. Yeah. But Sad. Well, Dick's getting, does get cl- out. Dick's getting closer to the hotel. Danny's losing it in the night, saying red rum over and over. He's like grasping a knife, and he writes red rum on the door with his mother's lipstick. She wakes up to his screams to see red rum written on the door through her mirror, and it spells out in reverse, murder. Mm, yeah. And just as she reads that, Jack is breaking down the door with an axe. Uh... So it's like, oh, it said murder. I can read now. <laughs> no, sorry, continue. I'll, I'll say it in a sec. And he's breaking down the door and shit, wielding the axe, and he's ready to kill his family. And they're hiding in the bathroom with Danny, and opens up the bathroom window. Luckily, Danny's able to slide down a snowbank and fit through this window to get help, but she can't. Shelley what were you going to say, Seth? Shelly Duvall's too Seth. thick. I, I looked yeah. up a couple things after watching this, <laughs> like, theory-wise, just because I was, I was very intrigued by it all. I didn't understand it fully. And that, all the theories I looked up were like, oh, there's multiple interpretations. I was like, okay, that's not helpful. But the one thing I saw that was apparently in the book, it's confirmed that Tony, his Tony. imaginary friend character, is him in the future. So he's helping him in the situation. And like watching it, it made sense. He was trying to help. He didn't want to go to the hotel. He wrote Red Rum to 
to show alert to, them. Yeah, to, to alert them that there was gonna yeah, that was going down. But the whole time I was like, why would he be holding the knife and scaring his mom? It was like so she would take it from him and have it as defense just instinctually, because maybe she doesn't grab it from the nightstand if he's not holding it when he wakes her up. That's a really good interpretation. Brandon's trying to kiss me. I thought we were about to kiss. <laughs> that is a really good interpretation. I like it a lot. Yeah. Do you write that? Yeah, I wrote that all, actually. And then I read it later, pretending it wasn't me that wrote it all down. <laughs> future you wrote it for... Past me. To Dwight. Past from future it. Dwight. <laughs> I have for the shine, future, and I just it. don't give a shit. <laughs> You're just like Jack Nicholson. <laughs> In many ways. I'm going to nice. back away just a little bit. Okay. Um, they're hiding in the bathroom. Jack's trying to break it down. And I really liked this like wonderful side shot of the axe breaking in the door as Wendy screams because her acting, being able to visualize it, was like impeccable. This is kind yeah. of the trauma that Kubrick put her through. Well, paid off. I know, and oftentimes she, her acting, like as evidenced by the Razzie nomination, has been maligned. And I think that it's a truly great portrayal of someone who's terrified. Oh, it's great. Because I know Jack Nicholson's like one of the ghosts, basically, but... She she no, yeah she stayed on par she she matched him yeah in like her own ways yeah I and, it was fantastic I think the only reason people wouldn't take that performance seriously is because of her bug eyes and I mean <laughs> because that she in a looked nice like a way. bird yeah <laughs> but I think I th- people are generally I think a lot of people are in denial about what that kind of terror and abuse actually looks like and everybody wants to think that they're going to be tougher when something like that is happening to them. But there really are no heroes in that situation. So that just like blind panic and horror, that's perfect. It's hurt, real, yeah. It's very hit, true as well. Hurt all those alpha male egos out there. Bring them. Like, I just would have bought Bitcoin instead of going to this hotel. <laughs> <laughs> Invested in Bitcoin in 1980 instead of gone to the Overlook Hotel. Yeah, he was a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> if he had the shine, he would have known to invest in Bitcoin. <laughs> Using the shine to invest? Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> well, that's a premise. Danny's gonna be so fucking rich when he grows up. Apparently he's not in the sequel. He looks homeless. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if Dr. Sleep the sequel was the take sequel. place post-2008? Guess, we've talked about this before. A lot of these movies, the powers don't extend to the financial realm, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. They don't. They never but, use like, their power Like the for cow financial. from the outer space. Yeah, it do- yeah exactly. Um, well, he breaks through the door, reaches into a locket, she cuts his hand with a knife stalling him, and just then Dick arrives, and Jack leaves because he hears the snow cat. He leaves Wendy alone to go and investigate, and Dick walks in, and he just fucking slaughters him with an axe. R.I.P. <laughs> That's what I- Easily the best character, the only one who gets murdered. Scatman, the the one black man. I mean, it stays true to the horror trope, too, right? Yeah. The, the black guy always dies. Well, and you go back to the Native American genocide. There we go. Dick is kind of a stand-in for the Native Americans. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if this is true, but I've heard that black people have had a hard time in this country. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Check check your record book. We're not allowed to teach it in schools anymore. That's right. But I've heard about it. That that hurt. That hurt. (laughs) Well, (laughs) goddamn. Yeah, poor him. He dies. But Dick deserved better. No kidding. Really did. That's exactly what Charlie said too. 
and Danny screams as Dick gets chopped as he can I put that he can feel Dick's pain basically as Dick did when he was choking mm-hmm. and Jack hears and tries to hobble him down and Wendy's just wandering the hotel looking for Danny too and she's hearing people chanting everywhere and I know that this is explained in the book because I've looked it up but when just watching the movie she stumbles across a room where a guy in a bear costume is performing fellatio to a butler what the fuck was that? Was it a butler or just a patron of the hotel? In the book. Either. Doesn't matter. A, what the sorry. fuck was it? <laughs> uh, in the novel, there's, you know, it's this rich person hotel. So people are going there to have these, like, weird sexual dalliances and perversions. So you have, like, the first furry here um, going down on a dude. <laughs> but he won't and be the last. in the novel, yeah, the dude was trying to sleep with this guy. And the guy said, I won't sleep with you unless you, like, show up to this party wearing a dog costume. So he does exactly that, and then they go and do the dirty dirty. And it's just, like, I think it's just one of these pieces that Stanley Kubrick picked up from King's novel and decided to augment it a little bit to give a little bit more horror. Like, Wendy's looking for her son, and she sees this apparition of, yeah, a dude in a bear con who's costume sucking off some dude <laughs> as one does now in the book did the dog costume have no ass part on it or is that part of the kubrick genius that we've come to expect <laughs> Ashless i think king was... left that part out okay that's <laughs> Ashless Ashless Chaps Chaps was a part of kubrick's, it's a kubrick's standard okay he had the shine he knew <laughs> he 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 visioned assless chaps before I am, it happened i am glad there's like an actual explanation for that and it wasn't just I mean, I didn't think he would have no meaning behind it, being the perfectionist that he is, but I was also very confused by that and didn't find an answer until just now, so thank you. <laughs> so that happens, and Danny runs outside into the hedge maids to hide from Jack, and I put love in these tracking shots to the maids, just like before on the tricycle, um, and they're always in the center of the screen. Jack's following the footprints of Danny in the snow, mm-hmm. and Wendy wanders to find Dick dead on the ground, with some crazy-ass crash zoom again, and she even sees an all-bloodied Grady. He's telling her, like, this party's awesome. (laughs) Thanks, Grady. And it's interesting, because he's, like, Charles Grady at this point, right? It's not Delbert Grady. There's some goofy duality between them. I believe so, yeah. Yeah. And she even wanders into a ballroom to see it full of skeletons. Everything's covered in cobwebs. She's... It's like the, the surreal symbolism is like ramping up as we as we near the climax. As we near the climax, yeah. She's seeing what everybody else has seen up to this point. And Danny learns to backtrack in his footsteps and cover up his new steps so that he can hide from Jack. And when Wendy, she's making her way through, finally makes her way to the elevator doors, she's the one that experiences the blood gushing through those red mm-hmm. doors. And I this is... Interesting. Like, peak... What is reality? What is just manifestation? I don't know. Everything is like, I don't know. It's very ethereal. We're watching it right now, the very yep. end scene on the silent of the movie. What? You're watching the movie right now? We just have it's it on silent. silent. Oh. Yeah, and we're at that scene exactly. Yeah, because oh, nice. we're almost at the length of the movie right now. So mm-hmm. um, Danny does eventually escape the maze as Jack aimlessly wanders for him, and he finds Wendy as they start at the snowcat and leave. And Jack is just, like, incoherently mumbling and screaming, 
nonsense in the maze, and he sits down for a moment to rest. And I love this cut, because as he sits, it's just a cut to the next morning, 8 a.m. It doesn't say 8 a.m., but it should have. He looks so doofy. One of the silliest phases you could ever make, (laughs) let alone being frozen in it. Yeah, Lucas and I were talking about this earlier, and Lucas mentioned, like, yeah, for this, like, evil mastermind, he's kind of a fucking idiot. (laughs) He really is. A frozen he, ass. It's like cross-eyed and yeah. has like an underbite going. <laughs> and, and the way that he's screaming, he's just incoherent. Yeah. And mostly mad that his wife and son got the better of him and outsmarted him. Seth? Yeah, not that he's dying. Yeah. Seth told me that when he watched that scene of him incoherently screaming, yeah, it I, was like song lyrics. On the- I bought the, I rented it on Amazon because it was $2 and I don't have the HBO Max and I didn't feel like going to one, two, three movies to like screen share or whatever. But yeah. um, the subtitles, they were, yeah, they were song lyrics to like, I'm going to San Francisco. Like it felt like an old jazzy <laughs> tune. Like he was almost singing the the end credit, like lyrics to the end credit oh, song. Weird. Um, so he was singing the song for a little bit and then he heard the snow cat driving away. And the last two things he mumbles, at least for the subtitles, was Wendy and wait. So like from that perspective, it almost looked and felt like he'd kind of come out of his crazy ness for lack of a better yeah. word like he'd come back to some semblance of himself um but he was still holding the axe and he still froze like a doofus so i don't think he actually came out of it but it is a possibility that um once they're out of the vicinity maybe the some sort of spell had been broken or i love the fact that like crazy yeah. trance jack nicholson is just singing song lyrics out no he says hit like a fly me to the moon while out there I almost want to like rewatch it when I. It was something like that though. It's like I'm going to San Francisco, like because he was mumbling, but he was still kind of melodic with it. So I need to I need to watch it again when I get home. At least that scene and like show you what totally. the lyrics were. Well, after this doofy face of him frozen to death, you get inside the hotel, and as you leave the gold room, you zoom in on some pictures on the wall. One in particular being from July Fourth, nineteen twenty-one, at a party here in the hotel. And front and center is Mr. Jack Torrance. Zooms in a couple times. And that is the end of The Shining. Did you a masterpiece? Did you say the picture was from 1921? Yeah. Okay. I'm not listening, apparently. And that is the end. So, oh yeah, let's clap again. That's the end of The Shining. Thanks, Seth, for starting up that round of applause again. That's what you do. You're just a guy. You do that a lot. <laughs> All right. Um, course? Yeah, let's do some quotes, ratings, and reviews. And maybe a recommendation. Little pigs. Little pigs. Let me come in. Not by the hair on your chinny chin chin. Then I'll huff. And I'll puff, and I'll blow your house in.
here's Johnny. Yeehaw! Yeehaw, boys. Gotta get one yeehaw in every episode. Downtown Spook Boys. Downtown Spook Boys. Um, quotes. Charlie, I don't know if you had any quotes prepared. We didn't really take notes during the movie. Is there any that jump out to you that you'd like to start out with? Uh, Let me think. Yeah, we can come back to you, too. I have five quotes I took. Four quotes. No, five quotes. I got five quotes. I have too many. I think I have 15. That's quite a bit. (laughs) Seth? Oh, I had, like, barely any. I have four. Okay. I have 17 quotes. What the fuck was I doing? What the fuck were you doing? I was watching it in Walmart, okay? I was just writing things down. Shouldn't you be working? You guys just do all of your quotes. I will take whatever's left over. Okay. Seth, you can go ahead and do your first four. All right. Um... Okay, so they first get to the hotel. He's talking with Mr. Ullman. And the flashing? What? Oh, you, yeah. You Don't worry, it's fine. The Don't flashing. worry about it. But he's talking to Mr. Ullman, or Mr. Ullman says to him, to his little assistant guy, he's like, will you have the Torrance's things brought to their apartment? And he goes, fine. <laughs> like a little kid <laughs> yeah, almost. Yeah, my quotes. Damn, I'm sorry. <laughs> Bill was not here for the bullshit. He was not. That was not one of my 17. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um this is when wendy and danny are racing to the hedge maze and she says the loser has to keep america clean oh i <laughs> missed that i should have taken that they kept saying it it was so funny that is funny uh what is this oh we already did this one kind of but nothing serious just a little problem with the old sperm bank upstairs when he yeah. first meets lloyd <laughs> yep and what a shitty line of... it's terrible <laughs> I think this is the very end of that same scene. He takes a drink of the whiskey for the first time in a while because he's sober, quote unquote. He says, here's to five miserable months on the wagon and all the irreparable harm that it's caused me. I took that too. I thought it was good. Like the sobering harm did more than the yeah. alcoholism. That's crazy. I figured everybody would have that one, honestly. Charlie, do you want to steal one of mine? Perhaps Down two. to 15. <laughs> Either of those. I'll do a dramatic reading of the first oh, one. Oh, perfect. Oh, Let's go. I'm gonna do my best, Jack Nicholson. <laughs> Wendy, darling, light of my life, I'm not gonna hurt you. You didn't let me finish my sentence. I said, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains in. I'm just gonna bash them right the fuck in. How's <laughs> was one That's of mine. So yeah, yeah, light <laughs> of my life. Lucas, thanks for getting the double camera on him there for a minute, too. Oh, of course. The dub. You got the that's, dub. I, that's just such a great, like, I'm not going to hurt you. I'm just going to bash your fucking brains in. That's, that's Could a be good pain thing. Was, you'll never know. I was not expecting that, and I'd seen it. Um, and you and seen then our it. last two that we have here, when he's breaking in here, I mean, the very famous one is, here's Johnny. Yeah. But the one I'm particular to is, he smashes through and goes, Wendy, I'm home. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that would make me laugh. Like, like he's leaving to be very, uh, Wendy, fucking, I'm home. I love Lucy. Um, our final one here is probably my biggest laugh. It's when <laughs> Halloran is Charlie's already laughing. Hotel. Yeah, it's great. He's on the phone with the garage owner and he says, I need a snowmobile. And the guy goes, why do you need to get up there? And he said, I'm afraid the people running the place turned out to be unreliable assholes. 
That's pretty good. <laughs> Not that they're psychos or in danger or anything. It's just they're fucking dicks. What an ass. Yeah. All right, Brandon. Okay. So you guys took three of mine in the end. Um, so here's, carnival. here's Johnny was one of them. Red Rum was one of them. Um, the Danny's not here, Mrs. Torrance was one of them as well, because I thought all those three were relatively quotable. Um, Bash from the right the fuck in. Uh, irreparable harm with the drinking. Oh, here's one. Um, Dick tells um, Danny, some places are like people. Some shine and some don't. I thought that was really good. Mm. Um... Uh, this one really got me when they were touring the place and he, the guy, sh- Mr. Ullman, showed him their room. And, like, Jack was too excited about this because he was like, living room, bedroom, bathroom, and a small room for your son. And Jack just goes, ah, perfect for a child. I was like, what? <laughs> perfect size for a child. He's too excited about that. He, um, was, he was stoked. I got one that I was kind of excited about just knowing the ending. It's Mr. Ullman again saying, everyone tries to get out of here as early as possible. By five o'clock tonight, you'll never have known anyone was here. And Wendy goes, kind of like a ghost ship, huh? And he goes, exactly. Mm. That's the plot. You got it, Wendy. <laughs> um, this <laughs> this is from Tony or from Danny. Just goes, Tony's the little boy that lives in my mouth. Like if you didn't watch the movie, that's an absurd quote. Yucky. Um. This is while Jack is typing. Wendy comes up to him and she goes, hey, the weather says it's going to snow tonight. And he goes, well, what the fuck do you want me to do about it? Like, this is <laughs> him being so cold to her. That's like the that 70s show quote. Jackie's like, man, it's cold. I wish. And Kelsey goes, well, I don't control the weather, Jackie. Damn. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Um, another foreshadowing quote. Danny, do you like this hotel? I guess so. Well, good. I want you to like this hotel. I wish we could stay here forever and ever and ever. Hotel California. That, it's another ooh. thing that, ooh, maybe that Good he's, parallel. maybe another sign that he could have a shine aspect to him as he's maybe seen the twin girls as well, quoting them yeah. directly. Um, I always liked you. Uh, oh, yeah. I always liked you, Lloyd. This is Jack talking to the bartender. The best goddamn bartender from Timbuktu to Portland, Maine. Or Portland, Oregon, for that matter. Didn't matter. You didn't need to say it that. Um, <laughs> sperm bank upstairs, yeah. Um, Mr. Torrance, what'll it be? This is at the party. Lloyd talking to him again. He goes, hair of the dog that bit me. And Lloyd's just like, bourbon on the rocks, then. <laughs> Yes, a phrase I never really understood. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't know what that means. It's, yeah, like if you you drink real heavily one night, then they say drink the same of what you had last night to cure the hangover. Mm. So it's hair of the oh, dog. Okay. That um, makes sense, totally. Three more quotes. This is very thickly Jack in the maze going, Dang! <laughs> going to San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I've got a me quote here, which was the Damn, she fucking tall as shit. You quote yourself the, again? The of course. That's uh, that's that's a new that's a new bit. Yeah, new and everybody loves it. Everybody loves Mel. <laughs> and yeah. my last quote is one from Lucas that was not okay. done. Jack Nicholson has cum gutters. Oh yeah, Jesus that was Christ. an example of stuff not to say on the podcast. <laughs> so I had to throw it in there. Jack Nicholson has <laughs> those cum gutters. <laughs> yeah, we're having an informative 
professional sounding <laughs> podcast. We don't want to say stuff like that. <laughs> You're right. Seth loses it over here. Well, I thought it was so funny that I showed my coworker our whole conversation about it. <laughs> about the cum gutters? <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. For, for anybody right. that hasn't tuned in regularly as I talk about cum gutters for like the sixth time on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. those Usually are the, it's about teenagers. <laughs> Usually about teenagers. It's the oblique muscles. The V. Yeah. Is that what those are called? Yeah. The obliques? Yeah. I thought obliques were like upper body for some reason. No. I'm thinking Silly. of whatever these are. Those are traps. Traps? That is your shoulder, asshole. <laughs> what is you this? Guys finish, you guys finish all your quotes? Yep. Yeah. Quotes, quotes, quotes. Ratings time. Y'all there was a get cool some ratings. Yeah, oh, King of quote I that I heard. What? There was a cool Stephen King quote that I heard when he's talking about the movie. Because uh, Charlie had already mentioned that in the Stephen King book, it was from without, and in the movie, without it was from paddle. within. Yeah, without a paddle. Um, but he said the biggest difference in interpretation of these events and it was cool to hear him talk about his own writing in third person like he wasn't the one that wrote it all and had a meaning behind it he was like the difference is in my book it ends in the house burning down and in the end of the movie everything was frozen over oh i just thought it was cool but yeah ratings and reviews i have to chew on that for a second we both had the same they really were without a paddle huh (laughs) I mean, that kind of lends itself <laughs> to the Stephen King's idea that it's all hell and Kubrick's idea that it may be all real. Isn't it's all natural. This well, isn't the seventh layer of hell in Dante's Inferno, like freezing cold. Isn't that like the Ooh, worst? The ninth. Ooh, you guys are ahead of me. The ninth, you say, Charlie? Yeah, ninth circle of hell. Seven. Okay, I, was th- I, I didn't even only, know that's the first. I haven't, right? yep, I haven't that's read where it. Satan thought, and, uh, uh, Brutus and Cassius and Judas are. I haven't read Dante's Inferno. I thought seven was the deepest, which is why I said seven. I thought that was seven of seven. But ninth, I I did read somewhere that it was extremely cold and the winds are harsh and the winds are caused by Satan trying to escape. Mm, that's right. When, yeah. when you said all that, I was just think, imagining a seven layer bar and the seventh layer is just hell. <laughs> this is... The hell is my favorite parts of the seven layer bar. Yeah. Beefy five layer. The fifth fifth layer is scorching hot cheese from hell. Uh, You guys want to guess some ratings? Of course we do. (laughs) I don't know if Charlie, have you seen them or not? With the guess in the. Here we go. It's a tomato. Still looking. Let me see those ratings. Out of 100. What do you guys think this is rated? Charlie, do you have a guess? Like 90. 90, okay. Damn. It, is this rot- you said Rotten Tomatoes? Tomato meter. The critics out of a hundred. Critics eighty-seven. Okay, Seth. I am gonna say ninety-one, but I really did want to say ninety. I'm not doing the <laughs> prices right. <laughs> Sorry, man. <laughs> it is eighty-two percent. Cringe. I have to remember a little bit that it kind of was panned when it did come out. Yeah, because I, I was gonna I'm say like I think I was gonna say like ninety-three, but I dropped it. Only six, yeah. apparently. Yeah. But it was panned. <laughs> I should have dropped it more retroactively. But how about drop. the audience? Seth, you oh, first. Shit. Out of 100. For some reason, percentage. I think, I feel like the audience was worse on it. I'm going to say like 74. Ooh, okay. Charlie? I'm going to go with 86. 86 and Brandon. <clears throat> See, I'm opposite of Seth. I think people loved it. I'm going to go 91. Ooh, Brandon is close again. It's 93. Shit. <laughs> in the worst. Uh, 
Kind of shows how universally beloved this movie is. Kind of yeah. shows how stupid I am. What the <laughs> hell? <laughs> um, you do not IMDb, agree with the public. IMDb Metascore. These are critics out of 100. Who's going first? The chicken oh, shit, uh, the Brandon egg. is. I'm going first. Brandon's the chicken. What was Rotten Tomato Critic? Uh, 82. Uh, 76. Okay. Seth? That's a good guess. <laughs> say it. 77. <laughs> and Charlie? I'm going to go higher. I'm going to say 92. Interesting. I think this is, must be where the critics of the early times played in, because it is a 66, which is surprisingly Whoa. low. It yes. was in the yellow shade of the... Not a green, yeah. Scoring grading, yeah. yeah. That's I thought Roger Ebert really loved it. I, he... I, we will we will learn I, about Eva here in a second. I, I did see a I Sorry. did no, didn't mean to spoil because <laughs> I did do a little big bit of like it. looking into this movie. I did see that Big Raj gave it a I think a one hundred. So and I do have a screenshot of something you said too, just in case you don't have it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and then finally we have IMDb user ratings out of ten. Let's go, Seth first. Oh shit! Shit! Of here we go again. Ten. Oh, seven point six. Q. Brandon. Um, oh, I'm not gonna guess seven point six, but that's what you. That was my last guess. So I, I thought know. you were feeding off. So I know scouring. I know that this is like IMDb, like top two fifty. It's like number fifty or something. Shit. Like it's somewhere up there. So I'm gonna guess like eight point five. Eight point five for Brandon and. And Charlie. Shit. I'm going to take an 8.7. 8.7. Charlie and Brandon are both very close. It's an 8.4. I've made a yes! mistake. I got all four. Did. It is the 61st best movie of all time, according to IMDb. 61st. Okay. I wasn't too far off. So what are we rating this movie? We'll go Charlie as the guest first. Out of 10, we it's called the lasagna scale for actor John Leguizamo. <laughs> yeah, so um, we can be Devin accidentally called him John Lasagna one day, and it just yeah. stuck. And we see that, yeah, like, ten, one to ten, or I guess zero to ten, and decimal points, yeah. Honestly, like, I'd go, like, a 9.7. I'd say totally. this is as close to perfect as you can get. Totally, totally respectable answer. Seth! Me? That's you! Yeah. Okay. Brandon, please don't. Um, I'll say, like, an 8.8. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't know how to justify myself, <laughs> though. Cool shot. I thought the That's sound. Fair. Actually, I'm gonna say nine point one. The sound, looking back on it, was actually genius. That was probably half the movie was the sound design. Mm. I, if it without it, heavy, sure. Different sound design or without it entirely, it's it's not even close to the same movie. You don't even get the 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 tones are completely different or just gone. Gone Girl. Gone Girl. 8.9. Nine. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> you get three scores. All right, Brandon's first. Which averaged favorite. out to 8.9. <laughs> so there you go. No. Um, I'm a 9.5. Yeah. I, I said this earlier. I think... So you're 5.9. I'm 5.7. <laughs> um, I think we've already talked about this before. Like, it's hard to make, like, a 
a comedy movie, it's hard to, it's easier to make maybe a love movie, but it's hardest to make a good movie. And I think trying to make a scary movie when the initial subject material that's on the screen itself isn't scary gives a huge nod to the film itself and the filmmaking of it. So it goes a long way with every little detail that they've added into it, where once again, you can cut that tension with a knife every second. So nine five for me. Nine five. Um, nine five. Mine's gonna be pretty similar to your guys. I'll round it out with a with a nine nine. It's oh. it's almost not fair to compare Kubrick to like other movie makers. I feel like other movies like try to make movies, and he just makes mo- movies. If that makes sense, movies. He's he's pretty unassailable. I think. And The Shining is Kubrick a was a fucking that. downtown spook boy, is what you're saying. <laughs> He definitely was. He's yeah. <laughs> Thanks for agreeing. This is the perfect horror movie, if there ever was one. That's why we did it for this week, so. Alrighty. Moving on to reviews, our last little, our penultimate section. We're so close, guys. Um, So, we brought it up before. Our first critic reviewer is Roger Ebert, Big Rog. Big Rog. He said <laughs> in his review from 2007 that the movie is not about ghosts, but about madness and the energies it sets loose in an isolated situation primed to magnify them. And they give, give it a four out of four stars. Classic four star scale. Hmm. But I have his partner, Gene Siskel of Siskel. And Gene Ebert. Simmons. That's the guy. In 1980, <laughs> he said, disappointing. Jack Nicholson parodies himself while Kubrick fails to provide any thrills. Oh. He gave it two stars out of four. Oh. So on Ebert and Siskel, it averages to a three. I bet that was a hotly debated week of television. <laughs> that, that was their that Did was their drop show? dead Fred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, team Sanity our, or Team Jack? A penultimate review is from also one team of the Jack goat reviewers, Fred. movie critic Pauline Kale of the New Yorker. She says, though taken from a pulp bestseller by Stephen King, the movie isn't the scary, fun one might might hope from. Or from a virtuoso technici- technician like Kubrick. It is a promising opening sequence and there's some spectacular use of the Steadicam, but Kubrick isn't interested in the people on the screen as individuals. They are his archetypes and he's using them to make a metaphysical statement about the timelessness of evil. He's telling us that man is a murderer through eternity. Kubrick's involvement in technology distances us from his meaning, though, and while we're watching the film, it just, just doesn't seem to make sense. So kind of a harsh saying it's real cold. But still kind of a positive review in it, in a way. Recognizing the the brilliance of the filmmaking, I think, yeah. Yeah. And then finally, I thought this was an interesting one I stumbled across earlier. This is from Adam Naiman at The Ringer. He says, The altered tone hmm. suits Kubrick's gallows humor, which is always about confronting and critiquing his audience's baser impulses. Reinventing The Shining as a slapstick comedy about murderous patriarchal, patriarchal insecurity is a, dang, is a daring move. Essentially saying that The Shining is a black comedy. It was the kind darkest of, funny. of all comedies. Exactly. It's so weird hearing like the Ringer doing movie reviews. Chris <laughs> had a fantasy football blurb. Yeah. Or just <laughs> Bill Simmons going on a pointless tirade. Or Gene Simmons. <laughs> or Gene Simmons going on a pointless tirade. <laughs> or Ben <Power>. Simmons. <laughs> We're into our last little bit here. User reviews. We have our girl, the little songbird. Oh, yeah. I dislike her. (laughs) She says that The Shining is more chilling rather than shocking. 
The blood flowing from the doors and the old woman in the bathtub made my hair stand up on the back of my neck and is constantly discomforting in an eerie sort of way. Jack Nicholson gives a barnstorming performance as Jack, a performance that is both hammy and disturbing, and Shelley Duvall does decently in a somewhat thankless role. Um, young Danny Lloyd is superb as Danny. It is overall a film with one or two problems and a very loose adaptation, but it's a chilling adaptation with Kubrick succeeding at being different. Nine out of ten. Nice. And she's never been one for brevity. We know that. We know it, but oh. that was a good review. Do you have to cut out a good amount there? Yeah. Three paragraphs, seven, eight paragraphs. for sure. <laughs> seven or eight, goddamn. Yeah. It was The Shining. <laughs> the other seven and eight was just all work and dull play makes the little songbird. She really got into it. Um, this one is from Mookie Award winner Snoopy Style. <laughs> He says, as a horror, this is not scary. It doesn't make you turn away from the screen. There is not a thrilling drama or an exciting action movie. This is simply art and nothing less. Director Stanley Kubrick is impeccable in his vision. It imparts a mood of foreboding. There is a feeling of wrongness about every scene of this movie. It makes the audiences uneasy. There is a creepiness that haunts. And I think he gave that a 10 out of 10. Okay. I was was worried there for a bit because it was like, this isn't scary at all. It doesn't make you look away. But then he said, this is pure art. And I was like, uh, there we go. Snoopy style, me, a.k.a. No. Uh, is a genius. <laughs> You're Sethan. Sethan was a racist. Yeah, <laughs> Literally a racist look one? at your name on what have you Skype. <laughs> You're Sethan. Why did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> all right. I switched over platforms to Letterboxd here. So this is Letterboxd reviewer Jamie in September of 2017. Says something in this movie happens, and some guy who just loves going absolutely crazy on the cello goes, That's my cue. <laughs> Three and a half out of five stars. <laughs> I like it. In a similar vein, Abby in October of 2019 on Letterboxd says, If it was me, I would have simply not gone crazy. Five out of five stars. <laughs> Bold I statement. Bold statement from Abby. <laughs> She's just a and girl. Then, our penultimate review here is from Letterboxd reviewer Silent Dawn on November 11th, 2019, Armistice Day. Uh, primarily a film about abuse and how sanity is often impossible to return to once it's lost. Jack Nicholson gives a performance that goes from fully crazy to existential specter of rage and terror over the course of two hours and change. Undoubtedly a masterpiece. Five out of five stars. And so- finally... Oh, so Ed, sorry. I was going to say, so the lowest so far has been 3.5 out of 5? I think Siskel gave it a 2 out of 4. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Well, Siskel's dead, so we don't care. <laughs> that's also true. <laughs> um, our final review is from INDB user Chaos Rampant, who never gave a score. But in 2009, they said, Kubrick Cinema is, as usually, a sight to behold. We get the adventurous camera that prowls through the lavish quarters of the Overlook Hotel like it's some kind of mystic labyrinth rife for exploration. Linear tracking shots exposing impeccably decorated interiors and in, in symmetric grandeur. The geometrical approach in how Kubrick perceives space reminds me very much of Japanese directors of some 10 years before. In that what is depicted in the frame, the elements of narrative is borderline inconsequential to how they all balance and harmonize together. No rating. A lot of big words, lot say, yeah. but not pretend, not a pretentious review in any way. Mm. <laughs> Ostensibly, <laughs> and we have reached <laughs> we've reached the end of our We're show. 
are we recommending this movie? What's the other word people? you said in your thing aside from ostensibly? Oh, we got in trouble. For, yeah, that was with Charlie. We we got in trouble. Oh, for you we did that words. presentation. That's yeah, yeah. Magnum opus. <laughs> That's what was the other one? Ostensibly, and there's, there's a, a whole bunch. Of oh them. yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. Metaphysical. <laughs> oh, I love metaphysics. They they yeah metaphysics. They got on you for metaphysical. On yep. Yeah. Ostensibly, kind of, they yeah. did. Yeah, the professor's kind of a douche, <laughs> as professors can be. So, are we recommending this movie? Yes, Brandon. Yes, Seth. Yes, yeah, of course, Charlie. Yes, wholeheartedly, and I, I will as well. Yes, watch the movie. I'm everyone has seen it, but movie. Watch. And that's the show. That's the show. Oh, I have to announce our winner. Our winner. Oh, let's do it. Um ciphered through all of our submissions and he put them in a hat i did not put them in a hat then this isn't a real winner because <laughs> we have to do it again because i looked back and i saw three on there but then i realized that two were old ones so we had one submission <laughs> nice. since we started the giveaway since we started the giveaway so i'm gonna play the winner here oh my goodness this is kelly putting in my name for the big that Seth promised. Did I promise a big hat? Yeah. No, you promised them to be put in a big hat, but there's no point in putting them in a big hat. <laughs> How many? <laughs> so we got one submission. It was obviously Kelly. Kelly. Yeah, I thought it could have been Rat Boy. I did show him how to do that. <laughs> Shout out Kelly. Shout out Rat Boy. <laughs> Shout out Rat Boy. I thought I thought I showed him how to do the. Well, not showed him, but walked him through it because I've never met him. Um, how to do the anchor thing because i just recently found out how to do it i couldn't figure it out i go on the anchor app i go to the page and everything it's just like do you like it or not like give it a thumbs up or a thumbs <laughs> well down. did you give it a thumbs up no but if Fuck you go you. on spotify or probably any of the websites if you go under the description of it and brandon's got all of his notes for the episode there's a link mm -hmm. to anchor if you click that mm -hmm. link it takes you like right to how to record so here's a here's a tutorial for everybody besides Kelly and Devin and Lucas has already done it. For our next giveaway. Yeah. Lucas has never given a voice message. What? Oh, no. He just know. gave a review. Huh? Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Well, I guess this is the Downtown Spook Boys signing off for the last time ever. Yeah. Until next week when I do it as a bit. Thank you, Charlie, intro. for being on here. Thank, really thank you, Charlie, for, having for being yeah, on. Yeah. A lot of good insight. Really appreciate all yeah. that. Yeah. I love a knowledgeable Thanks guest. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, next week we are jumping into November, and the first week is actually a Devin choice because it's his birthday coming up. I told him he has to be on. Um, we're gonna be drinking the beers or from else. Bilson. Mm -hmm. So okay. we got that going. Bill um, Bilson Tilson. Bill so Bilson Tilson. <laughs> um, and then for the rest of November, just in case you guys want to watch ahead of time, we have the rest of the month planned out. After that, we're gonna do even dwarves started small. Then our hit tug. Then we're gonna do the Panda or winner, Uncle Boon Me, who can recall his past lives. The one that Seth said looks cute. <laughs> yeah. And then finishing off the month with uh the last unicorn. You did not. <laughs> I put the last unicorn on there. So that's what we got here until we make our way into our holiday movies. What a month. What a month. What a month. Gadoosh. See you later. No, that's not your sign-off. Love you, bye. There you go. <laughs> See you guys next week. Bye, guys.
Thank you for listening to The Good, The Bad, and The Movies. If you like the show, please like and follow us on Anchor and any other podcast sites we are located on. We would love to hear your feedback, so please leave us comments and reviews on our Instagram and Facebook pages at The Good, The Bad, The Movies. We will be back next week to deep dive into more movies. And remember, if it's it's good good and it's bad, it's it's probably probably the movies. movies.